I'm kind of tired of 420. I'm already tired of it. I'm tired of the name. I'm tired of that number. I'm tired of people. 420, dude. It's yeah. 420. Yeah. You well, every, people have, people have a need to belong to some kind of a tribe. <laughs> they, even if it's a pot tribe. Like, it's oh, so yeah. funny how human beings cluster in groups. They just get nationalistic over any cause. Well, in all fairness, though, the pot tribe and the psychedelic tribes are very different because they know some shit that other people don't know. Mm. Like, if you're dealing with, eh, pot's going to rot your brain. Yeah, all right, dude. Right. Good Good luck with that thinking. Right. You know, potheads unite in that, you know, and that we know, like, this is a good thing. Right. This is a good, this is a good supplement. It's, it's a good supplement anybody. to your life. This isn't hurt, hurting anybody. This is not bad for you. You know, you know, a woman, got bad laws. My, my friend threw a party and he had uh, pot uh, cookies and crackers and a pregnant woman, she was five months, six months pregnant. She ate a bunch of them by accident. Oh. So they, they rushed to the hospital and she got, she was all bunched. I mean, really high. She didn't realize. I mean, really high. And you know what the doctor said? Doctor said, don't worry about it. It won't transfer to the fetus. It's fine. If you drink alcohol, way worse. And by the way, alcohol is even worse for a baby than cocaine, by far. And I was amazed, but he said it, it was actually no worry at all that she'd eaten those that's, pop runs. That's I'm, not, I'm not advocating pregnant women eat Your pop son brownies, might be writing also, poetry a lot earlier. But, but I was very surprised to hear that. Yeah, he might be, he might be a, um, very mellow when he comes out. He might not be crying. He might be going, dude, when he comes out of your... Well, it's interesting yeah. what the, the fetus is protected from by the mother, by mm -hmm. the body. You know, yeah. it's interesting what gets through and then what animals gets through. Because like with chickens, you know, I'm start, I've started to raise chickens. You can feed them food that's kind of a little bad mm -hmm. because their, their body just processes it. It won't affect the eggs at all. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to give them like rotten, moldy, fucking worm-covered food, but you can give them some food that you wouldn't eat. Sure. And they'll eat the shit out of it. Give them some rotten fruit. They'll go fucking crazy. Not only that, for it. they eat, if you want their shells to be a certain way, they feed them, um, I think, and for the calcium, they'll feed them uh, stones, uh, a certain type of uh, pebble. And well, they stuff. actually feed them shells. Shells. You that's take what it their is, own yeah. eggshells right. and smash them up in their food. Come don't, on. Don't, really? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to, you want to disguise it, though, because if you don't disguise it, then the chicken will know that eggs. Like eggshells taste delicious, oh. so they'll fuck up their own eggs. And when wow. they start eating their own eggs, oh, you gotta. Is that right? Yeah. Killing your own make, babies. Time to make the soup. Don't peek that <laughs> baby. Otherwise, it'll just be eating eggs all the time, and you yeah. just go into the chicken house. They're just massive fucking cannibalism. Mm. It's just something people feed chickens chickens too. Yeah, I see, on a yeah. regular basis. Well, that was they the that was the, they were doing that for a while. You know, big uh, chicken farms. Would would grind up the beaks and the feet and things like that. Ooh, they had nothing damn, to do with feed them, them back and to feed them right back oh. to them. That became I more believe that's more now respect for such a delicious yeah. little creature. Well, that's how mad cow disease that's right. started. Mad cow disease is the same disease that cannibals in New Guinea get. What they get a brain disease. Mm -hmm. I think it's the name, the pronunciation. I'm probably going to butcher this, but I think it's like Jacob's Crutzfeld disease, and it's essentially the same disease as this uh, cannibalism disease that the cows get. Mad cow disease comes from feeding cows cows. That's right. Really? And yes. feeding And typically feeding cows the central nervous system mm -hmm. of another cow. So yeah. they take the spinal cord and things they couldn't really sell or Are use, and they grind it up, yes. and they would feed it, in. The, they'd put it back in the in the feed. As protein um, for the yeah. cows, which those, are, by the way, complete herbivores. They're not supposed to be eating, I mean, they would eat the occasional bug accidentally, and their right. body can process it. But they're not eating animals. If a cow f stumbles across a carcass of a horse, it doesn't just start chowing down. No, man. They eat grass. Yeah, they eat grass. So it's so fucked up that they mix this in unbeknownst in their feed. Yeah. And it's, it's so so evil that nature 
made it so that you know their whole bodies break down when they do that, and they get this horrible central well, nervous system. They're disease. also sold by weight, so what they'll do is like the last three months or whatever, uh, and maybe even longer of their before they get slaughtered, they put a an estrogen pump behind their ear, and the estrogen will actually add weight to their bodies. Um, oh, yeah, it's God. good stuff. Well, the, the weird thing is these prions. Yeah, the prions pr- are, are prions. Yeah. How do you say it? Is I it think a it's prion prions. or prion. Prion, you can boil a prion and, and it will not die. Basically. Yeah, and that's what causes this mad cow mm-hmm. disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can like they can withstand like a thousand degrees. Yeah, for they're a like year. proteins. <laughs> yeah, crazy. They do not die. They don't die. It's not like you can boil mad cow disease meat and be fine. If you if you eat it, if you it's you, it was usually in hot dogs or hamburgers because they were Jesus. they were blending yeah. the central nervous. You guys make me want to go f- on a full fish diet. Sweat but then this. the fish, 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 fish eat like plastic. people yeah, yeah. and everything. And mercury. Everything. Yeah. Mercury is yeah. bad, yeah. yeah. I had um, arsenic in my body from sardines. Yep. I was eating cans of sardines. I used to love sardines. Really? I eat two, three cans a day. You'd eat them like the fish <laughs> on the cartoon? Because Joe, I just fucking eat of them, course man. Joe being the extremist. It's never just one can. <laughs> I like sardines. Time to eat a thousand. I'm a whale. I just used to love eating them. And uh, I went to the doctor to get my blood work done. And uh, he goes, you have arsenic in your system. Wow. And I'm like, how much? And he's like, very little. Like, you don't have to worry about being poisoned, but we need to find out how it's getting in there. I was like, what? Mm. Like, was someone poisoning me? But no, it's just eating sardines. I cut it out. Yep. All went away. I was like, wow. He goes, it's very common. He's like, especially with sardines, apparently, because they're bottom feeders. They're always like at the bottom. Yeah. They're where the heavy metals accumulate. Well, you told me that, I remember, and I stopped eating sardines. We broke the ocean. We broke the ocean. (laughs) You eat two cans of sardines, they're food. If you eat too much of it, you're getting arsenic in your body. Don't eat bluefin tuna either, and don't eat sharks. How about now? How about don't eat it now? Yeah. Because all the shit that's pouring into the ocean, yeah. they're finding there's a 3% jump in the uh, amount of, of radioactivity that oh, they're detecting the... in tuna. That's just now. You mean that's that's from, you're talking about from the... Uh, from the... from Fukushima. Yeah, Fukushima, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, these tuna are traveling all over the fucking ocean. They're like, they're on a jetliner. There's schools of them. They're, yeah. they're getting caught up in the water that's coming from Japan. Mm-hmm. A lot of water coming from Japan that's radioactive. Mm-hmm. And who knows what's going to actually happen? We've never had this happen before. It's total speculation as to what's going to happen with Fukushima. They have not resolved it. We don't know the consequences. We don't know how bad it's going to get. It's basically on the edge. If they get hit again like they got hit there before, you're talking a monstrous disaster because they can't shut those things down. It's abundantly clear. All the evidence is in place. They can't shut them down. So then it's about storing waste and keeping it cool. And it's just a big fucking hole, a big stinky nuclear hole in the ground. It's water's getting into it. But you can't get near, I guess, right? You can't even get near. But you can get near for like a minute or 30 seconds and your dick will probably break off, but you might live. Yeah. No, thanks. We're so weird. We're so weird (laughs) that we've done this and in such a short period of time. People don't realize what a short period of time it is to ruin two spots forever. Mm-hmm. The three, the four mile, three mile island, whatever the fuck it is, yeah. that spot's probably fucked, but not as fucked as Chernobyl and definitely not as fucked as Fukushima. Those places are fucked. Mm-hmm. Two places in the, what was it, 70 years of using nuclear power? Right. 70 years of understanding it. We've already yeah. fucked two spots up forever. Like for way longer than there's been history. Yeah. Probably longer than we even looked like this. When Enrico Fermi and those guys developed the first nuclear reaction at the University, I think, of uh, Chicago, uh, they were literally in the gym uh, at, uh, or in an area right there, in the, and, and it started to click. And 
there's a great story that I'm going to butcher, but it's a great story about these these brilliant scientists. Enrico Fermi was this guy from Italy who comes along and says they, they create the first nuclear reaction. They realize we have a nuclear reaction here. Problem is, not sure if we can shut it down. Uh, and, oh. and so they had a guy with buckets of water and uh, and he had some other thing like there was a hatchet to to hit a cut a rope so something would fall on top of it. There was just, no, they really just didn't know for sure that they were going to be able to shut the thing off, and oh then they, they were able to though. And I'm sorry about butchering that story, but I just it, I just heard it. Well, it how really about amazing. Oppenheimer's speech when they detonated the first nuclear bomb? Oh yeah, what was it? He quoted like something from Hamlet or something. The right? Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Wow. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about the perfect shit to say after you just blew up a nuclear bomb? Right, right. He was an interesting guy. Uh, did you see that Oliver Stone uh, uh, untold history no, of didn't, America? I but I heard it was amazing. I just watched the entire thing. How many hours is it? I don't know. It's like... Uh, I'm going to order it right now. It's it? fantastic. And uh, I, I, I was very impressed. Uh, and and it, it covers Oppenheimer. And, you know, the, you know, there's a big communist scare in the United States and all this witch hunt. And apparently Oppenheimer was like a liberal and uh, is belonged to every and belonged to every communist party. But they let up? they let him slide uh, because he he had yeah. the knowledge to to give them the bomb. Yeah, wow. and I believe at the end of his life he was very vocal about he was very anti nuclear bomb at the end of his life. You know, I mean, wow. right? Well, the, the guy that invented the AK forty seven said, "I wish I would have invented a lawnmower." Kalash- you know? Alexei then, like, did- Kalashnikov, I think his name is. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There is a there's the quote. Watch Oppenheimer say this. This is even freakier. Say it, Two man. people cried. You see him up Most there? people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Wow. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. Wow. He's I, haunted, isn't he? You see his wow. face? Yeah, you see him, like, that's see him a tear man. up? Yeah, that's a haunted Telling man. that story? Yeah. Wow. That's How hardcore. How can he not be? Could you imagine what it's like to have him. no nuclear bomb ever, mm. and then all of a sudden the nuclear bomb is here, and it's coming from your imagination. It's a genie out of the You bomb. know, uh, that, that untold history of America, you'll love it. And there's a great thing in there about the Cuban Missile Crisis and how close we actually came to nuclear annihilation in this country right. and in the world. That's right. And apparently there was like one uh, admiral guy, submarine, Russian submarine uh, nuclear sub guy who stopped it all. Because they had lost communication with Moscow, and their orders were if they lost communication, that means they've been attacked and oh that they should launch gosh. the things. So, like, they were totally about to attack, and it was this one guy's decision not to do it. 
God, that would have just damn annihilated it. half oh, of the fuck. Thank the God there wasn't some fucking. Who was uh, the guy who used to be the Attorney General, John Ashcroft? Yeah, that who guy. Who used to sing that Eagle song? Yeah, you ever about see that? Uh, that Christian Eagle song. Yeah, the yeah. Christian Eagle sure song. Sure have. He wrote a song. He wrote his own song. Yeah. Uh, he was the Attorney General at one uh-huh, point in time. I mean, uh-huh. that's a big position of power. Could you imagine if a guy like that was the guy who got to make the call? Well, at the end of the day, it's, it is the admirals and those guys who have to actually, you know, make that call on the submarine. But people say, have made know. it. Obviously, they dropped one of the Enola Gay. They yeah. dropped. The the other one on uh, Nagasaki. What yeah. was the, the plane that dro- did that? There was another plane in Olga, and there was one other plane, right? Did I ever tell you, Larry Small? I don't, I'm sorry. You don't know the name? I'm just sorry. Changing uh, the subject. Uh, uh, the, the Enola Gay. What, what was the question? I'm sorry, buddy. I, well, I, I said there was an, the Enola Gay, but it was another plane that dropped some on Nagasaki. I don't remember. Yeah. The oh my God. Uh, that's trivia. Uh, yeah. Big boy Gay. and little boy were the bombs, right? right. They, I've seen it. It's at the. Uh, Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, you know, I would watch that stupid movie, Wolverine, the the new one, mm. and he's a part of the uh, the, the Nagasaki blast. Mm. Not one one of them, and you know, the, the, there's a nuclear blast, and he gets fucked up on the nuclear power, but he you know turns back into Wolverine again. Boxcar, that's the uh, boxcar. That's it. Boxcar. Wow. Boxcar. There's a there's a, a no. God, a guy, computers a, are great. A, a guy yeah. I know who was the president of the Smithsonian Museum. And he used to keep a museum model. name dropper. I know, <laughs> I, I know, I know. And You're he, an intellectual name dropper. I am. I'm an intellectual. I'm an intellectual name dropper. Oppenheimer. I'm, Smithsonian. I'm, exactly. Well, I must say, well, of course, uh, I should we be were having I, tea with Oppenheimer. I should be speaking this way, of course. Uh, you get away with a great you deal. Your monocle. You have, of course, when you, when you speak this way, you get away with a great deal. Joe's a very good point you make. But my, he, he used to keep a, an, uh, a model of the Enola Gay on his desk. And around his desk, he had a red bonnet. And when people would come in and this one person said to him, you know, I find your plane very offensive because it dropped a bomb and killed 100,000 people. And he said, I agree, it's a terrible um, symbol, but uh, I have also a red bonnet around here. And uh, the bonnet belongs to uh, my my wife was a... uh, was in fact uh, a prisoner of war in a Japanese inter- uh, concentration camp, and she was she had rickets because they wouldn't give her they weren't giving her enough food or anything for that matter. And when the bomb was dropped, the Japanese surrendered, and my my this little girl was liberated two days later and ended up being my wife and giving birth to my children. So I actually like the Enola Gay. It was kind of a you know controversial well, thing to say, but I remember wow. there was something that Pilot said. They, it was interviewed about it, or he talked about when they when he dropped that bomb. Uh, that the plane felt like someone was beating it with a telephone pole. That like the after blast oh my God. of that explosion, and you know they were they dropped it, and they're you know they're moving at as a far nice away velocity. As and he said, even not at enough, that, not enough. That did, the whole plane was just Jesus. rocking. Yeah, that must like have fucked them up the too, right? Pole. I mean, of course, yeah. it had to be. Well, I just think that more than anything. What it does to your imagination and how you must have felt, the fear you must have felt at, at the power human beings have to destroy. It takes so long to build something. Right. Think about how long it would take to build a city. And then think how quickly you can destroy a city. Or how long it takes to build a human being and how easy it is to destroy that human being. That's always yeah. been the thing about life that has kept me... Uh, I think in some ways motivated in that I don't know how much time I have, but we were talking about it. Stay positive and keep trying to accomplish stuff because there's not a whole lot of time to waste in a way. Yeah. Gonna have my fun before the whole shit house goes up in uh, flames. Jim Morrison, baby. Uh, and yeah. on that on that 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 series was fantastic. Uh, there was oh, a the thing where Gorbachev was totally wanted to denuclearize uh, you know Russia 
It's before the Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, he realized that it, you know it was fut- futile to spend all this money, and that a lot of that money could be educating and feeding really poor Russian people. But Reagan, you know, they were set on spending all this money on the Star Wars program, which all this money had been earmarked for it, which was totally unnecessary. And the Russians were totally, you know, doing whatever we wanted for these treaties. And Reagan was just, you know, big dick actor guy, you know, playing hardball for, uh, you know, the the money war machine of this country. But and that's actually they what they said that you know, led to Gorbachev's demise and, and why the Soviet Union ultimately collapsed. Well, but it was really interesting. Th- that you know, was a Gorbachev actually was like this really visionary, you know, smart. Uh, he was like an agricultural leader. Mm-hmm. He was like a farmer. That's how he came to power in Russia. But it was, and, a, you know, that Reagan that And then Reagan he, he totally, you know, wanted to do away with, with all nuclear weapons. Yeah. And be friends with the United States, and Reagan just, you know, was the cowboy actor. Well, no, really? but, but before that, the Reagan doctrine, there was a very, there was a systematic, like, d- decision among many people in the United States to say, look, let's force the Soviets into an arms race because their economy cannot support it. That's exactly what happened. And so what we'll do is we'll literally, that was the the idea behind Star Wars, the idea behind the SDI and and just really pushing that arms race on the Soviets, not just um, uh, nuclearly, but also uh, conventionally. You know, we developed planes that flew way better than those MiGs because we had a metal alloy that burned hotter that could withstand more heat so our planes were faster and flew higher and that was a huge advantage over the MiGs so the Soviets very quickly realized that they were not going to be able to compete technologically with us and um, that was that's exactly right people and a lot of people say that the Soviet first of all communist system was a failed experiment for the most part but a lot of people say that so much of it had to do with you know, I went there when I was 17 in 1985, and one of the things that struck me was seeing bread lines, people waiting in line for bread in the morning. And the other thing that really struck me about being there at 17 years old, and I'm not kidding about this, no one smiles. No one smiles. Right. And I had grown up over the, all over the world and seen different people. Usually the people that I was around looked a little bit differently than I did. Um, they were uh, uh, Pakistani, or they were Indian, or they were, they were uh, Lebanese. When I went to Russia... What was striking was that they looked they they were Caucasian. That somehow I saw all these people that looked American and and they weren't smiling, and the food was terrible, and there was this really and the way they would clap when we would go to um, we went and saw these shows. They don't clap like this, like the way we do. They clap like this, all of them at the same time, like a ah, 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 like that. That's how they clap. Wow. The uniformity in that society. That was forced on them was mind blowing, man. It was mind blowing. Whoa! Um, I went to St. Petersburg about ten years ago. It was a. I, I see what you're saying. It was pretty bleak. But well, I mean, ten I was years there, ago there, was a little bit different, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot has changed. Yeah. I think things were way bleaker when yeah. you were there. But I, I, I see they weren't as happy. Blame the Mongols. But it, it was it, it was a pretty cool time. It the was Mongols conquered those motherfuckers for hundreds of years. Yeah, they conquered everybody. Yeah, the Mongols came through Moscow in the winter. They came through the through the fucking. They That's came. Badass. They attacked Russia in the winter because nobody else would do it that way, yeah. and they didn't. They didn't see it coming. Did I tell you how they? Why they were so hard to follow into the desert? Who the Mongols? You didn't have to tell me. I know a lot about them, but go ahead if you want to. Well, just what are you a fucking educator? Well, no, because <laughs> did I tell because you? Because they were like because some societies would get their armies together. I know. Have I have I briefed you? <laughs> have I briefed you on on the Mongols, my friend? <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you asked. 
they they would get these armies together and go into the Gobi Desert after them because they'd be so fed up with their fucking raids and stuff and everything else. Problem was, you can get about six days in, and you you that's when your water starts to run out. Then you have to turn back around because you got to feed all your horses and everybody water. It's really dry. You can maybe get six days in. Here's what the Mongols would be doing. They'd be drinking their horses' blood. They'd be tapping a vein and just and just hanging just wow. out of reach. And then when you turn around all parched, they'd wait till you were about a day from home. They'd be like, oh, they're really thirsty. Here we come, boys. And they'd just close in on you and destroy they you. They did a lot of ruthless shit. Yeah. They, were, they were the most ruthless motherfuckers of all time. Yeah, and, and Genghis Khan ran into a huge problem because... He was doing these raids with his his boys, and you know, like they would bring the young kids along to teach them how to do these things. And they also had a philosophy that if you're a human being from another tribe or whatever, you're basically chattel. You're you're on the same level as a goat and stuff like that. Problem was that these boys were growing up seeing this horrific shit, rape and stealing and looting and killing. They started doing that to their own women. They started doing that to their own people because these young warriors came back to, you know, when they'd be at the village and they would go, I'm taking that. I want to rape that girl. I'm taking this. And Genghis Khan realized there was going to be a breakdown from within, kind of a snake eating its own tail. And he had a, he, he then had to really instill the idea of the, the things that, that glue a society together. Not only do you, you can't just tell warriors how to behave. You have to tell them why they have to behave that way if you don't have a philosophy. And it was a real crisis for him and for his empire. Um, was that is, the demise of the Mongol people? Uh, the demise of the Mongol people apparently was when they would come in and they sacked most of what we know as the Middle East, for example. Um, the Middle East had its own renaissance and it was destroyed by the Mongols. They were huge shitheads. But I think what happens to any invading army is you start marrying, you start not everybody's an asshole. You start ideas kind of win the day where you're like, well, how much can we destroy until, you know... I well, wanna... there's a bu- there was a bunch of issues with the Mongols. One of them was that Genghis Khan died and his sons inherited his empire and his sons never had to go through what he went through, so they were never the same man he was. Mm. They didn't have the character that he had. They, didn't, they weren't brilliant military strategists like he was. Yep. Dan Carlin's five-part series, if anybody is interested in it, and you want to like learn about the Mongols without actually having to read a book, because that shit's difficult <laughs> and annoying. You. Thank you. Um, hardcore history. <laughs> it's called Wrath of the Khan. And it's an amazing five-part series in the Mongols. Well, freak you out, man! Sweet. Like there was a, they were, they were headed into Jin, China. These uh, Arab dudes. They were trying to check out China to see if maybe they should go in there and kick some ass and take some, take some riches. Or they'd heard great things. They got there and they saw in the distance what they thought was a snow-capped mountain. It turned out to be a mountain of bones, Jesus. just a pile of bones, because the Mongols had killed a million people. Wow. They killed everyone. They killed everyone in these cities where they had 40-foot-high clay walls, and they'd get there, and there'd be no one there. And the, the Khwarezmi and Shah's troops had to turn around because the, the ground had become decayed from rotting flesh. It was just mud everywhere. And the smell was so thick in the air that his troops were dying. They were dying from the the fucking the the odors of the dead bodies. There were so many dead bodies. The roads were gone. There was uh, no roads. It was just mud from decaying flesh. I asked a historian on my podcast if they were really that bad, and he spent his life studying the Mongols. I said, mm-hmm. "Are they really that bad?" And he said, "Yeah, they were really." There's that no bad. Di- well, uh, at, you know, the Great Wall of China. The Great Wall of China was built to keep the Mongols out. Yeah. And uh, if you go there now, I was just I just got back from China on Monday. <laughs> I went to the Great Wall like two weeks ago. But the first time I went to the Great Wall 
was about 12 years ago. And uh, there's Mongolian people hang out on the top, just a few of them that are like selling things, like woman selling postcards and cheap stuff. And uh, I, I bought some postcards. It was like a dollar. I gave the woman a 10. She wouldn't give me the change. Uh, so, she wouldn't give you know, me the they, change. They might uh, be rotten people historically, but I also wow. want to remind you that they'll cheat you at the Great Wall. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tom, Tom, that's outrageous. So, she wouldn't give you change. cheat you at the Great Wall. She they, wouldn't give you change. How did that go down? Uh, you know, good friend, good friend. You know, it was just, just like, wanted to keep the money. It was awkward. Yeah, she's calling you good friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good friend. Good That's friend. interesting. Good friend. Uh, I was just at the Great Wall again. Did you get your money? Uh, I didn't. They, they there was a few there selling like cokes and some different trinkets. I didn't. Uh, I didn't fall for it this time. It's crazy. The yeah, but at the Great Wall, the ten dollars. Did you? Get your I never money? got it back. No. Wow. No. 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 Uh, it's kind of a detailed question there. At the Great Wall is, is a... T- Leaves you hanging. You need the end. My friend, my good friend. Like, what got, happened? I've what got the a, fuck happened? I got a video on YouTube, uh, Beijing, Tom Rhodes, Beijing, and it's on there. I had my camera running. Wow. Oh, you could see the woman. I was a woman, and she's not back? giving me the change. It's really? a, So it's in my little Beijing video. And What's, what's the all, video title again? It's Tom Rhodes, Beijing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, what, and what's in that video also is the greatest thing, as great as the Great Wall is... There is a toboggan slide that you go down. It's a little, you get to sit on like a little luge plastic thing and you got a stick between your legs and you push it forward to go fast and pull it back to slow down. And it's windy and it's got some huge drops in it. And Dude, I went there. I don't remember that. Damn it. There's, three, there's three sections yeah, that tourists huge. can go to the Great Wall. Yeah. And there's only the one section that has this fantastic, magnificent slide. Right. And it's thrilling. And then you, you get down to the bottom and there's a big... It's on that Beijing video. I filmed it while I did it. I guess it's uh, the but only. But I just I just did it again a few weeks ago, and at the bottom uh, are there it is exactly. Uh, oh there, there's this some is your video? there's some Chinese uh, wow. soldier communist guys with like military jackets on down at the bottom on these big turns going slow down slow Dude, down. Dude, you're moving because obviously they've had a few people like Fly off flip the off the corners. Oh my God! That's Whoa! So scary. And you can uh, how are you slowing down? How do you slow it down? Well, you just you pull the stick uh, towards you. Oh my God! And so cool. I did it, it. I wouldn't see that was in winter when I first went, but I, I just did it again, man. It's it's. I wanted to go right back up to the top. But is that a, is that a, as great as the Great Wall is? I think th- that slide is even cooler. <laughs> and that's a, so that's, avoid yeah. the Mongols at the top. I want to see the Mongol footage. I want to see that broad. I think it's the, only, it's the only man-made structure, from what I understand, that you can see. Apparently, from space. that's horseshit. That I, I said so. that too. I it's thought so. I was like, here, uh, it is, I, here it is. Here it is. This Mongolia picture. Old people walk. You look long and go old. Winter nice. snow. With the snow on it. Okay, 10 cars. Just oh. Long and go old. Oh. $1 cheap. Where are we cheap? $1. <laughs> yeah. Where what? Two for no. three. Three. Can we go one? One ten. One ten. Yeah. No. One ten. Two ten. Are you filming me getting ripped off at the Great Wall? Give me one of them. Okay. And then we're even. Okay. All right. What sounded to me like you asked her ten? I gave her ten. It was a dollar for the postcards. Right, but she was saying, "Yeah, ten. Okay. If you go back, I think it was a miscommunication. No, she thought you were paying ten bucks. That's what it sounded like to me. I, I, her a t- Listen. I trust her. Yeah. Oh, I get it. 
Uh, how much is uh, you guys, this? Watch this. Look. Ten? Ten, yeah. See? Ten. Ten, ten yeah. Like change. You change? Change. Okay. Well, you do that. Okay. No, like ten Chinese yeah, is like a ten. dollar. It's okay, good. so she and cha- she did say change. I change. She's pushy too. Look at her. She's kind of like. She slapped you with your knuckle. Her knuckle. She's she's every bit as wide as you are, by the way. But she'd probably eat you. Yeah. If no one's around. I just I just spent three weeks in China. She probably would. She'd probably, eat you. She'd probably eat you. She'd probably drink my horse's blood. So she gave you that too. Is that the the compensation? That was it. Yeah. That's actually not a bad deal. That wasn't a bad. You got a gold medal, dude. Yeah. You won. You won the bronze. Exactly. Uh, I just got back from China on Monday, and it's. I have to say, the nice thing about our country is the price is the price. Yeah. You don't have to. How much is this? Uh, Two hundred. Are you kidding me? That's yeah. <laughs> you know they'll give you like the highest price. You want to buy something, and you know right. it's only a couple dollars. And they'll you say, "How much is that?" <sighs> eighty dollars. Turkey, uh, turkey well, was. There's like no that. way that that can be eighty dollars. Do then you get them down like to like that. halfway. Why don't you just tell me what you need? But some people tell me like the price that. you need. Oh yeah, like bartering. Uh, oh yeah, Bar- it's bartering. Man. But don't we have that here with car sales and and certain? Then why things? is it got to be like that? Why can't you just give me the price? I don't understand it. It hurts my friend. Charge what you yeah. need on the little extra over and just tell me what the I price say that is. To, I literally I don't say, I, that's how I do a car. I go, listen, I know you want to make some money on this. I'm not going to kill you. I'm, I'm not, I don't have any energy to haggle. If you want to take a little bit of advantage of me, it's fine. Just give me a price I can live with. I don't want to hear that I got completely destroyed. Eh, it's 100 bucks extra. Whatever. Yeah, like whatever. I don't want to do that. But some people love it. They don't, they don't want to buy anything unless they can haggle. They're like, come on, you gotta help me out here. Give me something. Give me a little something. Out there. <laughs> yeah, they man. like it. Yeah. It's like a, there's a thrill involved in the negotiation. Yep. They can walk away knowing that they saved five dollars or whatever. whatever. If you think about it, though, that's kind of exactly how uh, Wall Street works. I mean, you you think something's worth something, and the other person thinks it's worth this. I mean, worth this. Right. Take, derivatives are that way. I'm betting on the company going up. You're betting on the company going down. And he's betting on the company staying where it is. So let's. There's there's a financial instrument that reflects that i'll buy i'll short it or i'll go long on it that's exactly how you know huge sums of money are made and lost and every day you're absolutely right i was just when i was in hong kong i got to go on bloomberg financial television Whoa. and i was interviewed by like their four main hosts and bloomberg financial news goes all over the world and uh for some reason this guy that the, the guy that um coordinated the shows had a link with Bloomberg and I'm on there and it's their four main worldwide hosts and they're all like all these questions kept and they had to they're asking me about the markets you what? know you know that's a sure sign of the apocalypse when I'm on Bloomberg <laughs> television what are they asking and they're you? asking they, they're just throwing all these financial questions at me the guy asked me what do I think of uh Ben Bernanke retiring and I said well, I think now he has to uh turn in his skin suit and go back to lizard form <laughs> and the guy goes reptilian, and I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, like, I mean, they were like such serious. I mean, oh, there, there was a, there was a. Uh, you look, there it is. You there, look like this, Steven Seagal. This here. Asian woman. No, stop. He does not. No, he I mean, he way better like, than well, Steven Seagal. How dare you? I hate. You look like an athletic Steven Seagal. Brian Callen, how dare you? A little bit there. He looks fantastic. Yeah, he's a good look looking at him. guy. He's dreamy. He's a good looking Steven guy. Seagal. How dare you? And uh, how dare you to Steven Seagal? You look like a good looking Steven Seagal. I I hate being called Steven Seagal. Sorry, sorry, Tom. That's okay, man. And the podcast goes down. You wouldn't hate if those skills were necessary. Not. Knock, knock. There it is. Knock, knock. Who's there? Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal who? At Showbiz. <laughs> oh, God. 
That's showbiz. The showbiz joke. But anyway, I'm on this financial thing, and they're throwing these questions at me. It was, uh, it was ridiculous. And the, the attractive Asian woman tried to get all philosophical. Mm, let uh, me hear that with me. I have got a lot to say about comedy killer. <laughs> Before this. Yeah, it's actually something I thought of the last time I was on your show. I said this thing about pockets started all our financial problems. And so... Let me buy you a drink. Can I have a vinegar and water for the douchebag, please? Oh, <laughs> there, we go. there we go. The guy pushed it. He's, he goes, yeah. he goes what's oh, the... What's wow. the they all, they're all kind of like, ooh. Bar, right? Probably the last time you're going to have a comedian on this show. <laughs> no, right, but see what the guy did there. He goes, what's the worst pump comeback line you have for a heckler? And I said, it's too filthy to say on television. Right. And he it. says, what's your second best one? So, I mean, he, the uh, dude should have left it alone. Yeah. It's and and this is, I'm on live television. Yeah. And I'm trying to be clever and quick. Right. Uh, in this barrage of questioning, that guy, and that, and then they all get like, whoa. Or, all now I can we're, concentrate now on Now we're is, banned in four markets. Oh, t- well, you fucked up then, son. All I could get over is, uh, in this video is, how weird are dresses? That girl's, both of their vaginas just out there in the breeze. That is, that is, is a high state little, of mind right there. This is the strangest little How outfit. weird are dresses? Look at that outfit she's got on. She's oh, got this little that's thing hilarious. that's draped over the opening of her vagina. Just so cleverly, <laughs> so cleverly. Like the, the parts that we're going to show is right up to the gateway of the vagina. And then from there, there's nothing but a breeze. Nothing but a breeze and two cross legs. And this tiny, the thinnest possible type of cloth we can make yeah. the thinnest lightest most times see-through you can see pubic hair right through the fucking thing that's there hey man you're getting a little too detailed it's just weird it's just weird how women are allowed to do that it's so rude no wonder why alimony laws are in the position they're in we're at a severe disadvantage just by their attire they're fucking dangling a carrot they're dangling a carrot it's rude i never realized it. it's It's a total dangle carrot move not only that how about the fact they got shoes on that make their ass do something that it never does in real life you're leaning forward as if you're just begging for someone to fuck the doggy style (laughs) like all day long you're just accentuating your ass you're leaning forward like you're just you're you're giving step one to a five-step process of doggy style you're already at step one everywhere you go i remember when i was that's genius why why isn't the man who invented high heels why isn't that a household name that well first of all that that's the most genius thing because you you can get guys will spend i put myself in debt buying girls dinner who look that good in high heels and then <laughs> and then I, then the heels come off and they're back at your house and everything else changes you're like oh man that's just somehow that's a huge difference i mean a huge okay difference. i'm totally different that doesn't do a damn thing to me Really, I, it doesn't do anything to me. I don't get it at all. I mean, I, if a oh, woman I has do. beautiful legs, the legs are beautiful, yeah. and I, like if she's barefoot, it's just as hot. I, I, well, means, when a, well, when a sure, woman, when sure, a woman walks with confidence yes. in heels, not like those big stripper fucking stiletto things, but like she's like nice, nice, <laughs> nice <laughs> no, high but, heels. Where you see a woman who's, who like walks confidently in it. No, no, is, what I'm saying is, is like. It, it it yeah. it is definitely uh, debilitating. Yeah, it's like a man who's really good at the trapeze. The caveman drool, what? you know. So it's like a man who's really good at the trapeze. <laughs> it's like, wow, <laughs> look at what skill he's acquired. <laughs> look at her. 
<laughs> oh, oh, what I'm saying is that a woman can have not such a great ass and legs, and, and if, in the right heels, you can get very fooled. Where you just oh, go, I see what you're wow, saying. yeah, then, it definitely accentuates. Yeah, and then things come off, and you're like, oh, well, that wasn't exactly what. Yeah, I Yeah, like expecting. lingerie doesn't do shit for me. Yeah, I take. I mean, it off I guess it does if it looks good. It looks good. I mean, but if like you know, is it necessary? No, no. I notice when a woman dresses well and cool. Like some yeah. girls dress really cool in an effortless way. I find that very attractive. You're a weird motherfucker. That's why. why. You're into fashion. Yes, I am. Turn to the left, fashion. What if a girl showed up at your house with Velcro shoes on and a fanny pack, but she had a banging ass? A banger. Yeah, it wouldn't really bother you, right? It wouldn't bother me at all. What are you talking about? You. A girl could be in a for- burlap sack. I don't give a shit. <laughs> you forget that in moments when yeah. she was naked. Uh, that's like, guys, I've always been the kind of guy, like my friends would be like, no, nah, I would have, dude, but I couldn't get past her feet. Shut the fuck Ooh, up, you baby. There are some feet that really will fuck yeah, you up. Yeah, she could have she could have hooves. <laughs> all right, if she's, if she's got a banging ass. I think there's an evolutionary thing for that though. If someone's got some crazy fucked up feet. Yeah, you're like, hey, hey, Bunions. hey. Am I gonna have to carry you? Like, what do we? What, <laughs> when I'm true. looking for food, it's gonna be a certain point in time where you're not gonna be able to make it. That's really funny. Where are you going? I wonder if that's true. That's 100 percent what it is. Because I do. Why like, else would it be feet? How I, come you're not like, weirding out about her elbows? I like petite arched feet. That I think. An arched foot is very sexy. Mm, a petite foot, really? That's so weird. Yeah, yeah, that's not good. I just like using. I like the arch. Uh, a, a flat foot on a. I like the, yeah, a foot it's... of a woman who can go hiking. A woman who's got some sturdiness to her. Yeah, you don't have to have little tiny feet, you fucking weirdo. He wants these chicks to be like barely able to talk. Hey, bro. Just, Excuse Mr. me, Mr. Callum. Sir, if you just let me unzip. I can't unzip your pants. It's too hard. Can you do it for me? But they have, they have to have a German accent. I don't know why. It's <laughs> a German accent. Mr. Callum. <laughs> Mr. Callum. You're married, it? aren't you? What's the ideal weight? Right, right. What's right. the ideal weight? For me? Another dimension, if you weren't married. What's the ideal weight? About 80 pounds? No, no, no. I, I need, no, no. It's a breeding thing. I need, I need about 115 is good. Oh, 115, 120. 115. But, but athletic. I like mm. athletic. I like broad shoulders, small waist, and, uh, and high insertion calves. <laughs> it's yeah. funny, man, the, the, the skirt thing. It's a, it's a very weird thing. When you see them walking on the street, and especially in Hollywood, like on Melrose, you'll see people walking on the street where their skirt... And these are not sluts. Right. I shouldn't even use that word. We shouldn't slut shame. It's really not nice. Yeah. And Women just, who want to have sex with people, they're not right. sluts. No. They're, they're, they're angels. They're enjoying their they're life. Angels they're angels sent from the that. Lord. I, sh- I hate myself for using that They're angels healthy sent from the Lord. What, what I should say Stress is these are, these are not prostitutes. These are just girls Regular who women. like to dress in yeah. style and sexy. And they're wearing these shorts that are just... There's just a little canopy over your vagina That's hole. Silly. I never yeah. knew that's so funny. I mean, funny. it's just dangling right I mean, right there. Yeah. You're talking about maybe three inches. Hard to get work done. Maybe three inches. And they have a skirt. They're like the lower part of their ass. It's a normal thing <laughs> yeah. to see the lower part of a girl's ass in a skirt in Hollywood. Yeah. It's a normal thing. Exactly. It's ridiculous. It's it, it fucks the whole game up. It completely ruins. Completely distracting. It's it completely ruins our our ability to form rational thoughts and <laughs> figure out. If well, we, we were before we the really podcast. You were talking about how important it is to keep your mind on the right things. Yeah. And in a way, some societies are like, you know what? All women are going to be completely covered because nobody's getting any fucking work done. <laughs> Maybe that's where the burka came from. Of course, that's like, where the burka totally came from. We need to build a fucking pyramid, goddammit. We don't need to be staring at ass all <laughs> <Right>. day. Cover <laughs> these bitches. We got work to do. Yeah, cover them, cover them up. We gotta build pyramids. We gotta push rocks. Nobody wanted to push, push rocks. No they just want to stare at chicks and mini people skirts. People will hook up eventually if you have enough attractive people in the of the opposite sex in the same room for long enough. Things are gonna happen. Yeah, even if you're not in the same room, it's just exactly. they they smell each other. We're fucking weirdos. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's interesting because everybody oh, remember when you were in high school and you were learning about Rome and the collapse of the empire, and it was always about the the excesses. It was always Caligula and the vomitoriums, which apparently allegedly weren't real. Apparently, there's no real evidence that there was vomitoriums Ugh, yeah. that they really Where like they stick a feather got down together. Their yeah, yeah. Tor. Let me let me make sure that's true. Because uh, I believe I read that, but I could, it could have been another one of those. I've read articles. That's the, one of the problems with fucking the internet is you'll read like really convincing articles, and then you start like saying it like it's gospel truth. Well, and then you read an article that's totally contrad- contrary to that, totally the, the opposite conclusion, and that's very convincing too. And you're like, God damn that's it! That's why books are. That's why historians who do a lot of primary research and really work on their source material. That's why that's where you should get the bulk of your information, professors. And, and, and historian. Oh, this is interesting. Vomitorium is actually a passage situated below or behind a tier of seats in an amphitheater or stadium through mm-hmm. which big crowds can exit rapidly at the end of the performance. So it's actually the um, idea is like the idea of a vomitorium. Like that's I, it sounds like it was ignorance. It sounds like uh, whoever was talking about it didn't understand that that was a, from a, a Latin word, mm. it, which means to spew forth. Meaning how to get crowds in and out of places. Oh, wow. There you go. Wow. Right. And so, like, we, like, decided that it was the There was vomit. a room that yeah. they would go after dinner and vomit. But for sure someone's done that, right? For someone, for sure someone stuck a feather down their throat so they could keep eating. Sure. Why not? It's, yeah. it's ha- if everything's happened, that's happened. I heard a really cool, um, this, this professor at Oxford, uh, a philosophy professor, was talking about the rise of Christianity and why it took hold. And one of the things he said is in, during Rome... Rome was, you know, had had conquered so much of the world, um, and Rome was kind of bursting at the seams with Greek philosophy. With their their their, their elite were taught by Greek uh, tutors, and and their documents officially were written in Greek. And so, so Socrates and Aristotle, and all the, the great philosophers, had a profound effect on the Roman Empire, their justice system, their 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 property right laws, and things. And at the end of the day, regardless, the Roman Empire was crumbling from the inside out. It was decaying from the inside out. And along comes this radical rabbi, uh, Jesus Christ, Christ, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, who comes along and with this radical idea. And his apostles, you know, later on took these ideas into the Roman Empire. But it took hold, basically, you know, the theory was because people were looking for something more. The idea that it's not just about reason, it's about faith. There's two articles that are hilarious back-to-back just to prove what we were just talking about. Mm. One of them was Jesus a Roman invention. And there's an article in Huffington Post that there's a a guy who uh, is a a biblical scholar, allegedly, who uh, has these revelations threatening to undo Christianity. And that he believes that he's got proof that that the the idea of Christian was a, a creation with the idea of uh, Jesus Christ was a creation by the Romans. Mm. Well, it lasted, that's for sure. Yeah, but I mean, it's possible it could be, but it's fascinating. There's that, and, but if you Google further, by the way, Huffington Post has one of those weird things where it tries to get you to not back-click. Wow. Those are so gross. What? When you try to that? scroll backwards, it just resets the page. Scroll backwards, ah, it resets I hate that the shit. page. It, only, it happens only on the, when you use the swipe thing on mm. a, a laptop. To go backwards, but it doesn't if you actually use the arrow. But you got to go up there and use the arrow. But you go to uh, Catholic Answers, and the the title of the article is "No, the Romans did not invent Jesus." Mm-hmm. So it's like, 
you could find whatever you want to find. Right. You could find the Romans invented Jesus. You could find that Jesus was a real historical guy. Well, it, it, uh, Christianity filled in the uh, power vacuum after uh, the collapse of the Roman Empire. But, Constantinople, yeah. his wife was a Christian. Constantine, yeah. Uh, and yeah. Uh, for some reason, it, it, well, wasn't that why he, they, decided to he permitted the idea. Christianity yeah, he decided in, to in accept, Italy? decided to accept the idea that Christ was Lord. You know that that he was he was more than just flesh. But um, did you ever see the God who was there? The I'm God sorry? who wasn't there is a documentary, uh-uh. 2005, disproving well, apparently, uh, according to the documentary, disproving the uh, the the actual birth and and life of Jesus Christ, and saying that it was just a myth. Well, well, either way, what I, I think is actually interesting and, and kind of radical about the idea was. In Rome, the entire ethos and credo of the of the country was might makes right. I mean, their statues were muscular. It was all about domination, and there was the weak and there were the strong. And they had a whole pantheon of gods that you know kind of supported something of that. And 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 their gods also were kind of gods that were a little bit out of reach. If you didn't don't pray to them too much because you might anger them. They were always a little bit out of reach. You know, <laughs> yeah, like Thor. Yeah, I mean they were they were they were their own. Up. Yeah, they were their own kind of entity that you could sort of sometimes have communion with but you had to be very careful because they were jealous and they would do things to you the idea that you know, bang your wife right sure they would uh, that's what zeus did right that i, I believe it. but but what um what christianity came along and said was which is interesting and i'm i'm this i'm not i've never been very religious but love 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 thy enemy uh um and the idea of forgiveness um, and the idea of love in general, those are very, it's interesting how powerful and soft, but how powerful and resonant those ideas are and how they stayed powerful. Uh, help the needy, help the weak, the meek shall inherit the earth. Those Why are you ideas. talking like a preacher? Listen to the way, uh, help uh, the needy. They're, they're very enduring the ideas. Well, yeah, right. I mean, earth. in the be- brutal era when that it's came out, that how, was that, well, yeah. he was a radical yeah, he, even the example of whether it's true or not of, of him being sacri- you know, crucified and tortured. Okay, but stop. You know. Those ideas are all like ideas that everyone has. If you're a moral person, if you love your friends and neighbors, if you 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 realize after life and years of experience what's good and what's bad. You know, when it works out, it seems to work out when I'm nice to people. Hmm, Absolutely, let's write that shit down. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this to say that that was you know that it was anything other than that. Well, know, I'm just these... saying it, it did though have an effect on history and it did change hey, but, things. But right? no one knows. No one knows where the fuck it came from no right. one knows where any of these ideas oh, yeah, came yeah, from yeah. and not only that by the time you're getting them the, the the way they've been broken down from ancient hebrew to latin to greek ancient hebrew they're still struggling with most of it it's like three quarters of the words in ancient hebrew there's like right. some debate about because yeah. they, they had numbers and numbers were letters the letters are numbers and there's numerical value sure. to the words so anybody saying that it means anything, it's like, boy, you, are you sure? That's a you need a, a lot of fucking scholars to sit down and break that shit down for you to be confident about what you read in English, Absolutely. about what the Bible says. Stop. No, it. I just I believe God. in God, but I think Ooh, uh, all the evidence Tom took the fucking air out of the room. All the evidence uh, <laughs> uh, points that God's an asshole if he exists. Oh, Why would he put the three God. major religions capital in the same spot? An angry I've traveled God. all over the world. Why couldn't he have put like the, the Jews capital in Hawaii, yeah. like the Christians in the Caribbean? Well, where, why like, would he have more than one religion? Where everybody, well, first of all, everyone two, would be happy to visit the other person's well, place but and Christianity, learn things. Christianity and Islam come from the, I mean, the, the Old Testament is, is recognized in both 
in both uh, religions, right, as, as the first book. Do you know Oliver Stone's son converted to Islam? No, I didn't know. Did he really? That's when you know you raised your kid right. <laughs> That's when you know you knocked it out of the park. <laughs> that is the ultimate White park American. <laughs> your dad's a super fucking star. Hmm. I think I'm going to convert to Islam. There's only yeah. one way. I see to... the writing on the wall. Did he change his name? I see, I see where this fucking breeze is going. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm joining that team. Allah Akbar. Well, um, uh, Cat Stevens decided. I yeah. guess he got really Christian. Then he decided to be, you know, uh, a Muslim. Yeah, I mean, he he went deep, yeah. and and he basically stopped recording. I right? know for years. Didn't he do uh, a years? new album recently? Yeah, he did, he did a couple years ago. That's a strange yeah. cat, man. Who knows, man? More than one guy's done it. More than one guy smarter than me's converted. Yep. I don't uh, to all sorts of things, man. I've I've met brilliant people that converted to Mormonism, and I'm like, all right. Mm. I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's going on. Do I don't want to ask. I don't. Too, well, but but, don't, but it's the it's the it's it's the ideas that I was talking about where those those simple ideas that seem like they're like you said I don't know where they came from but the fact is they lasted and and maybe they I think they always existed with human beings like it's you know a, it's things that people learn it, everyone yeah. learns if you're in a tribal situation everyone learns camaraderie you all learn that you don't want your family members to get eaten by a lion we all learn how to keep each other together we all feel the rush of survival we difference. all love each other there's a little bit of a difference and What's that the is that difference? the difference is this and this was this was the the essentially what the christians i th- i believe uh, the idea, the example of Christianity contributed was the idea that, yes, tribes will say that about each other, the Mongols and everybody else. The difference was that along comes this this guy, whether you know he was God or not, or he existed. The idea was all of us are of the same moral worth. We all come from the same father. No matter what your skill set, no matter what your skin color, no matter what your background. And that idea... It has lasted, and that idea is the cornerstone of our justice system and everything else. That that is the contribution. That's what every hippie figures out when they get high. <laughs> so what happens? It's every hippie figures that out when they get high. We're all the same, man. We are all the same, dude. Eat a pot brownie. That's exactly what you'll figure out. You figure out we're all exactly the same. So it's like you know the idea that this was some mass magical like, like, thing right, to right. figure out. Like, come on. Well, Everybody it was given form, though. It was given form. Like the yes. Bible gave it form. Sort of. You know, it also just was wrapped up by a bunch of bishops and Constantine sure, to try but, to control people. Yeah, but you still need symbols, I guess, to you know to fall back. But you on, couldn't. You know? get, the pagans were too hard to pin down. These motherfuckers are worshiping the moon and shit, right. and like, stop. They, right. they're, I mean. To made too much sense. You know, yeah. they would celebrate during the summer solstice and the winter solstice. They had all these celebrations that they would not budge from. So Christianity had to say, uh, listen, listen to this. What a fucking coincidence. Our, our fucking God was born in the same day as your winter solstice. <laughs> Dude, what are the odds? You guys gotta join us. Join up with us. Come on. We have the fucking same thing. We call it Christmas. We said we put a tree out. You know, they started like incorporating pagan aspects into their. Why religions. are we running naked in the moonlight? He was born moonlight. in April. Jesus was supposed yeah. to be born in April. He wasn't born in July but you know or in, kind of, in December. Do you know what's pretty wild about? I always forget about like one of the enduring qualities of at least Catholicism is the idea of confession. That uh-huh. is a very strong, strong thing to be able to go to a priest once a week or every day and confess your sins and be absolved of them. Wow! And it's totally anonymous. Talk about the first therapy. There, yeah. there. 
Ferris clearly that that was bullshit. One of biggest things. People it wasn't needed. the first. There, you're crazy. Yeah, you're, people Listen, were going in there that and, like, that their we, that was invented purely to control rebellion, to figure out who's doing what wrong, Maybe. to figure out who's oh, trying to overthrow the Catholic Church. A hundred percent, dude. You weren't even allowed to. Oh, you read. mean you mean like being able to confess? Confession. Right. They want to know what the fuck you did. Sure. They want to keep tracks on everybody. Tell us what you did, or you're going to fucking fry in hell. Right. But now you don't have to fry in hell. Congratulations. Go see a few of these, and we got all the information we need from you. So if you were hanging out with Martin Luther, the Anabaptist, and you were thinking about taking over the Catholic Church because the fucking Catholic Church wouldn't let you print the Bible out right. in a phonetic form, yep. no one could read the Bible. You had to rely on right. priests yep. until Martin Luther came along. And so mm -hmm. they, they were fucking f f lighting people on fire for that, man. And Martin Luther was branded a heretic, and, and he had to leave uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, wherever he... Uh, Germany. In, uh, Germany. Yeah, I know Germany, but I can't, I'm trying to think of the town. It's a anyway. really good way to fucking find out what people are hey, doing. Hey, man, that's Confession. a cynical way of looking, but I like no. it. Oh, it's the real way. It's really what it was invented for. It's it's a total 100% position of power and control. Yeah. That's all yeah. it is. You, you mean, you, you, this guy well, is... Either way, either way, it worked. And it, it kept people very loyal to the church and continues yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, it keeps people scared, you know. It, there are priests that are out there that are listening to you and not telling people things. I like that Lenny Bruce, he had a, he had a priest's outfit. And he would go around <laughs> Miami, and like he would take confessions and talk to people. He just there was a little period I don't know where he bought it or had it made. But, That's hilarious. Uh, in one of Lenny Bruce's biographies, so he's just you know a Jewish guy, and he's dressed up like a priest. Love it. In one of people's houses, listening to their confessions. The, just the idea of it, you know, you get absolved. You not only that, you could absolve people and get a free pass through purgatory if they do some bad shit. If you donate yeah. money to the yeah, church, that's right. They're selling and free passes. I was in, uh, I was in um, uh, Naples uh, in September. Uh, Italian city dropper, uh, and uh, there was a, there was a church there. Oh, really corrupt. I saw a guy uh, uh, trying to snatch an, an iPad out of uh, some older Australian couple's backpack. And the, the wife saw him. Get oh away from God. there. And the dude just shrugged like, uh, you know, I guess I've lost my touch, you know. Yeah. Wow. Like, I'm a thief. That's what I do. So but in Naples, there was a church of uh, souls in purgatory. And there was wow. all these, like, uh, you know, skulls in front of it. And whenever it was made in the 1300s or whatever. But these, like, wow. rich Catholics there, they were concerned about the souls stuck in purgatory. Oh. So they spent all this money and made this uh, this church for them. Well, purgatory was even invented to try to convert pagans because they they were the Irish believed in the land of fae. They lived, but they believed in this this land where like fairies and elves lived. That it was like just over there. Yeah, you know, probably because of mushrooms. They were probably eating mushrooms. I mean, it's m most likely if you try to figure out like why you would think that where elves were come from, elves yeah. were in some like nearby dimension that you could reach. And so the Catholics had to convince them. Oh no no no. That's that's purgatory. Yeah, we know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, That's when you go when you're not a good guy. You got to stay there for a little while. You're only half an asshole. You, do you don't time. have to go all the way to hell. Well, it also came We're from gonna, Don. It comes like, family can the buy you box. a pass that was so the you penalty can get box. out of there. <laughs> yeah, the penalty box. You go box sit in the penalty life. box for uh, well, a few it centuries. Also, it also, Dante's divine, the divine comedy was all about purgatory, right? That that was that great work, the divine comedy. It's just amazing what people will invent to control people. Like the stupid shit that they just mythology, invented. Mythology, story. But, well, that kind of stuff. I mean, when you got a direct, when you know there's a direct path between the Christians trying to incorporate the pagans, the pagans not wanting to, the all Altering of the timelines of, you know, oh, our celebration is the same as your celebration. Let's figure out how to make this happen. I'm less cynical about you know, that. I'm actually a little bit more of a fan of the idea that I think that those ideas 
carried uh, carry forth and have lasted so long because there is there is truth to them. The idea that we're all the same moral worth, for example. Uh, the idea of he confession. Goes. He's doing you know. a fucking lecture again. That was the interesting thing about that was the interesting. so smooth. That was the interesting thing about China. Was and my leg their, is their belief system is so different that they are Dallas. like their their holidays are different. Their whole mindset and like all these things that we just accept in our reality. There's a whole different mental world going on in, in the well, Chinese. Well, isn't that, that's the Tao, right? Confucius, that's the idea of being balanced. Balance is huge harmony, being in harmony with everything around you. You ever hear that, that they did this great study where they had Chinese people look at a fish tank and Americans look at a fish tank? No. When they asked them to describe it, the Americans described the fish and the Chinese didn't, ne- the fish were just a part of, they described the relationship between the seaweed, the stones, uh, the fish, how much water was in the tank. They were looking at the whole thing and how it all related to each other. The fish were just a part. They were no more important, for example, than the stones. When they asked Americans to describe how many stones or what kind of seaweed, the Americans had no idea because they were just looking at the fish. Wow. So this is the way they uh, came up with the December 25th date for Jesus. They, uh, that the, the, the world was created. <laughs> this is awesome. Stop laughing, they, they, they tried to figure out um, when from the idea of when he was conceived and to go from there. That's, that's where it was, uh, that's where they bal- started it out from. It came from the point of conception, which was. Um, and didn't the pagan holiday involve a tree? So, and we it just incorporated that tree. Yeah, maybe. For I don't know. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find this thing. Shit. Well, he's, he's um, looking on the internet again. Sorry, I think you, uh, Brian, you you, you can't talk about Chinese people and fish without uh, me telling the story. Uh, <laughs> Joe, you ready for this? Yeah, 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 yeah. You got the information? Yeah, no, I don't. It's um, it's it's kind of ambiguous. There's a lot of debate on this. This is not something that like anybody really is sure of when this uh, this dude was actually born. The church leaders decided that they needed a Christian alternative to rival popular solstice celebrations. They chose December 25th as the date of Christ's birth and held the first recorded Feast of Nativity in Rome. Um, So the idea was they reckoned the world was created on the spring equinox, and four days later, on March 25th, light was created. Since the existence of Jesus signaled the beginning of a new era or a new creation, the biblical chronographers assumed that Jesus' conception would have also fallen on March 25th, placing his birth in December nine months later. Seems logical. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they created the earth, and uh, then four days later, light. Duh. Duh. What yeah. a, okay, seems like a good date. Is there a problem with that? It's very historic. Keep in mind, that is the internet, so we're not sure if it's 100% true. Yeah, this is all. I want to hear Tom Rhodes' story. Yeah, can I tell a story? Please. Please. So I was just in Hong Kong a few weeks ago, and uh, I remembered this story of something that happened to me the very first time I went to Hong Kong was like 12 years ago. And I had never been to Hong Kong and China, and I was really excited and wanted to see it. I was staying at the Shangri-La Hotel, Mm. the most opulent, fancy, luxurious hotel I've ever been in my life. I mean, above... Beyond five stars, just swank. And so the first day, I just walked and walked and wanted to soak uh, as much of Hong Kong in my eyeballs as I could and just see the city and I'm walking around. And when I got back to my hotel room at the end of the day, they had put a goldfish in a little goldfish bowl on my desk and it had a note 
and it said, traveling is sacred, but no one deserves to be alone. Hmm. That's why we've provided the goldfish <laughs> That's awesome. to be your friend and keep you company Thank during you. your stay here. Thank you. Whoa. So two nights later, Fatboy Slim is doing a concert on the Kowloon side of the harbor. I love Fatboy Slim. I'd never seen him. I had, uh, you know, somehow uh, got some ecstasy or whatever. Whatever it was. And uh, it, 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 was, it was such a great night. These Chinese people were just so stylish and fashionable. They looked like they had fallen out of fashion magazines. Uh, and I just had such a great time dancing in the middle. And uh, Fatboy Slim was just electrifying that night. And I drank tons, and I got really... Uh, Really drunk, you know? <laughs> Life of a comic. So, uh, that night, when I'm sleeping back in my hotel room, I shit the bed. <laughs> I'm like half awake, you know, that kind of... Uh, wet or drunk sleep. Thick. And I thought it was a fart, you know, and I, oh. I blow it out, and it's oh. like wet-ass pee <laughs> goes all over the bed. <laughs> And I had never, yeah. I had never shit a bed before. Oh I had never shit a bed well, in my welcome life. Welcome to the team. I That's just it. absolutely, yeah, I was, say, I was I absolutely ashamed that sure. it happened. I felt Hepatitis. terrible. So the next day, I, I went and I walked all over the city. And, you know, uh, when I came back to my hotel room, they had taken my goldfish away. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even bother to roll. Your Nobody sheets deserves up? to be alone except for you. You bed shitting you creepy bed, weirdo. <laughs> you bed shitting ex freak. That's the problem with ecstasy. Uh, Sexy until you shit the bed. But it was bed. such a lovely thing. They put a little goldfish in my room. That's nice, man. Beautiful. It's so nice. Hey, someone makes a really good point on this uh, message board. How the fuck could Christianity uh, assure everyone being equal and yet still condone slavery? That was exactly the debate. That Abraham had slaves. Uh, the, so the, the, the slaveholders would cite the Old Testament. But you're right. I mean, that was in but fact the Old right. Testament. The, the, it's, the, also, it's also what Martin Luther King and a lot of a lot of abolitionists used to as as fuel to fight the slave trade, which was what that we are all of the same father. Am I not a man? The the abolitionists always were citing those kinds of things. But why were they uh, going? If they're going by the Old Testament, the Old Testament's the real deal. The New Testament is the one that's got clear fuckery attached to it, right? Well, so if you're going to go by the word of God, the mm, oldest shit you can get is the best no, shit. No, no, no. The, fu the fundamental <laughs> difference was this. The uncut that, the, that Christ said the, the, the good news is all of us can be essentially uh, Jews or uh, are, 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 are children of, of the same father. So it's not – the Old Testament was very much for the – you know, in in taught in the temple, and it was for this small group of people called the Jews. But along comes Christ, who says, you know, you can't tell people talk to have people read the Book of Leviticus about how to quarter a calf. It just you know, just not to eat an osprey. None of this shit is relevant. What matters Obviously, is that women have well, to what, what matters is that you do unto others is you'd have them do unto who said you. This, that Christ guy. That's the allegedly. idea. That would be the idea. Allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly <laughs> Joe Rogan's going to hell because he has accepted just, Jesus. It's it's a fascinating, not. fascinating thing that in 2013, just this conversation is yeah. very dangerous to some people. Isn't that amazing? This is a dangerous topic. Yep. People get angry at you for discussing whether or not a zombie existed. Yeah. Whether or not a guy died and three days later came back to life because he was magic. I'm not making that argument, man. I'm not having any. I'm not. All I'm talking about yeah, is the. Yeah, I know. I know. A historical figure. But it's, it's. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about what, was, what Christianity's tenets are. That's all I mean. Well, just say. stop and think about how many people are going full bore for the you know, historical, biblical version 
this the Gallup poll most recent that they did in like the late 2000s about someone uh they they asked them do, how old do you believe the earth is do you believe in the biblical version of creationism and like 46% said they thought the earth was less than 10,000 years old as stated in the bible well that's very, what more proof if, do that, you need? if that statistic is right that's scary it's not i'm sure because it's uh, first of all it's a statistic which means that the only people that answer are idiots right. so you're you're getting idiots that answer these fucking these these it's questionnaires nobody nobody with a life or a job or time you always around. hit no thanks yeah nobody does that <laughs> yeah. so it's the, but out of those people that are dumb enough to answer that form hmm. 46% think the earth is 10,000 years old that's amazing i've had debates with people who you know who I thought were fairly intelligent, fair-minded people who just insist that what they read in the Bible is literally true. Yeah, there's a lot of people I, like I that, just man. Don't I like to met people in Australia who called Easter Flying Zombie Day. <laughs> That's a good name for it. <laughs> like, Super Bunny Day too. A giant <laughs> fucking evil bunny. I like the it's idea. I like the idea of you know, trying to the, give you candy. If you believe in the symbolism diabetes. of something, then okay. Yeah, it's in well, you know, and it's also a, a unique way for people to turn their life around. You believe in this one guy's teachings and this one guy's teachings. Really, still, you know, the way they're translated and sort of, you know, sort of used today in the the best aspects of Christianity, very beneficial for a lot of people. Absolutely. And so, having something like that, whether it's based on a real person or whether it's based on an idea. It's very beneficial to alcoholics, you know, like twelve-step programs. How many fighters do you think? I think the guy was probably uh, Jesus was just like a brilliant comedian and just very misunderstood. (laughs) That's right. That like plank in the eye line. I mean, that had to have been a joke. I don't think that was totally a joke. One good minute turning wine into water. His act was dog shit. I think it was just a really preachy guy, (laughs) constantly telling everybody how to live their life. Like, dude, where are the jokes? Where's the jokes, bro? Well, Come how, on. Many, how many fighters? We need strong open, strong end. How many fighters are religious? Would you say, Joe? A large percentage. Large percentage. Yeah, probably more than um, like the average person. Mm. If you, you took the, uh, they say that atheism is on the rise in America, and uh, you know, some guy wrote an article about uh, by 2041 or something like that, there being no more religion. I think that's a big fucking leap. Me too. But the idea is that atheism is on the rise. Mm. Um, I don't think. I think in, with fighters, though, you're dealing with a lot of them, of course, almost uh, more so in boxing than in MMA. But in, uh, even in MMA, a lot of them are coming from poor backgrounds. A lot of them are coming from uh, places where people, you know, the strong religious footholds. Right. You know, Iowa and shit like that, yeah. like wrestlers, a lot of Christians, you know. Yeah. I saw that Tyson documentary last mm-hmm. week. And uh, I love at the beginning when Customata takes him under his wing and he's teaching him. Yeah. And he told him that he had to, he had to convince him because he had low self-esteem coming from the street and everything. But he, he, one of the main factors was he's telling him if you don't have the warrior sp- the, the spirit, mm-hmm. you're never going to be a winner. You have to believe in yourself as the, you know, the mythical warrior yeah. champion. In a way, that's maybe where a lot of boxers find solace in the idea that there's something bigger than them that yeah, they're fighting for. Right. I've heard many fighters say they're doing the Lord's work. It's fa- fascinating. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm doing God's work. I'm mean, not just one guy. Many guys saying I'm, I'm doing God's is GSP work. GSP religious? No, I don't believe he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he might be a little bit, but uh, I don't think for the most part he is. I hope he retires personally. Um, you know what? I've said that, and people give me a hard time about that. I mean, only GSP knows what he should or shouldn't do. Um, I think the guy is just an amazing representative of martial arts. He's like such a true martial artist and such a great 
champion for a long time. I mean, he was at the top of the sport in an incredibly talent-stacked division, and he dominated that division for a long time. But I think every fighter has got a, a, a lifetime inside the octagon. There's an amount of time that you can spend in there. George has fought more minutes inside the octagon Five and than, a half ever, hours. than any fighter ever. Yeah, that's, all- a, that's a long time. And he's taken 50% of all the blows he's ever taken in his entire career last in fights. the last three fights. Wow. And Eight, 875 shots i believe to his head well the one of the things wow. he was talking about was how in the pre- lead up to this fight was how difficult he is to hit and johnny hendrix hits really hard but he's difficult to hit which was fairly true once he got loose on the feet um like i'd say in certain rounds like in the third round it was hard for johnny to hit him in the fifth round it was hard for johnny to hit him george got loose but Johnny still, like when they got close, was able to land some horrible shots on him. While George is going for the takedown, Johnny hit him with three or four absolutely brutal elbows to the head. And then a couple really hard uppercuts as George is trying to hold on to his leg and take him down. And Johnny blasted him with like at least two flush uppercuts on the chin. With, and the kid hits hard. Anybody who thought that George won that first round, I'm like, well, I don't know what you judge a fight on. Right. You know, look, Johnny blasted his leg over and over again with oh, knees from the gosh, clinch. That would look really so hard painful. knees. And people try to pretend that those don't count or something. I don't know why you're not scoring that. Like, those are debilitating. That's a smart move. It's damaged. It's real. It's happening right in front of your face. But because it's such an easy thing to do, just mm. knee someone in the leg, people don't think it's a big deal. It's almost as good as a leg kick. Right. It's almost as good as a leg kick, depending on how good. It looks and, so painful. Yeah, and the way Hendricks throws him, it might be as good as a leg kick. Yeah. He fucking really leans into those knees. So he's hit him, he hit him with horrible fucking elbows when he was trying to take him down. He hit him with a horrible uppercut when he was holding on to a single. At least one or two horrible uppercuts. And then blasted his knee. And, you know, I mean, and took him down once. I mean, it's just like... I don't know what people are looking at. I mean, I don't know. I, look, I know you, people his, love George St. Pierre. Too. Look at his face yeah. at the end well, of that fight. Well, he, George gets busted up in yeah. a lot of fights and still dominates them. You yeah. know, he, he has that kind of skin. So some people just don't. Like, BJ Penn never gets cut. He's yeah. just got this incredible well, tough skin. Yeah. He's, got, he's got a lot of scar tissue, so it bleeds. Yes, bleed but, but I think that there's going to come a time when George is going to have to retire. So when is that time going to be? When a guy, to me, starts talking about retiring and thinking about getting out, that's when he should get out. I agree. And when a guy does a post-fight thing and says, look, I got I to gotta stop, and it could just be the pressure of, forget about all the shots that he's taken, all the brutal five-round fights that he's been in, just the pressure of being at the top. Like, after a while, you don't want to fucking deal with that shit anymore. He's made a ton of money, and even if he's not going to retire, the idea of stepping back and chilling out for a bit, like he said in the post-fight press conference, it's probably a good idea. My my feeling also is that you know if he's be if he's blurry in one eye if his if he's having trouble remembering I don't want to see a human being that beautiful have yeah. a problem with his brain and a problem with his eyes and what is your brain and your eye worth yeah. it's not worth twelve million dollars it's worth a lot more than that and I I want to see a guy like George St Pierre walk away while he still can not carry down on, on a shield you well know? fighting is a young man's sport and yeah. there's a certain amount of years. Dana White says GSP versus Hendricks rematch is on track. You know, and also it turns out that George is getting sued by his ex-manager. He's got a lot of shit going on, which can really fuck with your head. You know, there's some million-dollar lawsuit hovering over his head. I think George is a great guy, and I think he's an amazing example of what's possible with hard work and discipline. And he's a real champion, a true champion. 
I like to see a true champion go out on top, and there's just not many who have ever done it. He's got the only one that I can prove. remember is Marvin Hagler. Mm. Marvin Hagler is the only fighter that never came back, went out in a fight that most people believe he won. He fought Sugar Ray Leonard, and win, yeah. a lot of people believe that he won that decision. Mm. It, was a, it was a close enough fight that it, did, it wasn't the worst robbery in history, but a lot of people believe that Hagler should have won. Mm. And Hagler stepped out, and that was it. It was done. It was such a great period in boxing, man. There was so many great fights. You know, I, I was think that like Pacquiao and Mayweather not I think they deprived us of like two great fights and rematches I mean there was so many Hagler Thomas Hitman Hearns yeah uh the uh what was the Cuban guy well Mayweather's Nomas, so smart man and Those, uh Sugar Ray Roberto Duran I would have loved God, to there was so many epic fights then Duran Duran versus Pacquiao would have been an amazing <laughs> fight that would have been insane they had similar style touching their belt they looked the same like, like their fucking f- beard they had similar beards man that would have been a war Duran had more of a beard you know but <laughs> oh. Pacquiao with that goatee looks very devil like you, you see Duran, like those old pictures of him, his eyes. If you oh, look yeah. at a game bred pit bull, you know those dogs have been through the head. He had that same, literally the same eyes, like just, just ferocity. He was a bad motherfucker, dude. Everybody Roberto I talk to who's a real boxer, they always say my favorite, like uh, Boom Boom Mancini, his favorite fighter, Roberto Duran. So many boxers who are real great boxers. We'll we'll talk about Duran, like you know. There's a lot of people that tones. people forget, like Aaron Pryor. Remember when oh, Aaron oh, Pryor yeah. did cocaine in the corner before the 13th. Round. No, I don't remember that. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Panama Lewis, the guy was eventually uh, he he got kicked out of boxing for uh, another fight where uh, I think it was uh, Billy Resto and uh, I forget the guy's name, but um, he took took the padding out of someone's gloves, and so there's this young up and coming kid who uh, fought this this you know experienced veteran that he was expected to beat, and instead he got busted up really bad. Like, his both eyes swollen, lost vision in his eye, had to retire from boxing. But after the fight, they grabbed the guy's hands, and they could feel there was no padding on his knuckles. Oh, my God. It was just taped-up knuckles. That's all he had. And he just fucked this guy up. And for people who don't know, a boxing glove is fairly thick. Yeah. It's, it's still dangerous. You could certainly get knocked out. But there's a lot of padding, like when a knuckle hits you, mm. like especially when it goes over your eye, whereas a, a raw knuckle goes right into your eye. And he's just getting smashed, man. He got smashed. And after the fight, it turned out that Panama Lewis had done this. And Panama Lewis was the same guy that gave the, the, this, this bottle that Aaron Pryor was like a serious cocaine addict. And the Aaron Pryor like, said, uh, you know, they, it was like leading into one of the uh, later rounds. And Panama said, no, not that battle, the one I, one I made. And he brings a bottle, he gives it to Aaron Pryor, and Aaron Pryor just goes out there like a fucking man possessed <laughs> wow. and destroys Alexis Targrail and knocks him out in the next round. Those fights were sick. And the wow. word on the street was always that, not, not that I was on the street when I got the word, but the word in the boxing gym where I trained at was that everybody always knew that it was cocaine. Yeah. Panama Lewis literally gave him cocaine. God damn. And he went out there coked up. If you haven't seen if you haven't seen Aaron Pryor and Alexis Arguello fight, you, YouTube that shit because if you're I love that so many fights are on YouTube. Yeah. I, I don't know if we yeah, talked about this before. Yeah, I read yeah. this brilliant book last year called, about it was uh, a flame of pure fire. It's about Jack Dempsey in the Roaring Twenties, oh, and he was such an interesting character. But it's great as as I was reading this book, you can go back and look up the fights on YouTube. Yeah. So was, I'm reading about this, you know, these fights in like the 19 teens. Amazing. And uh, you know, even before him, the uh, Jack Johnson fighting in Havana, where this French guy Coltier or whatever his name was, it was uh, knocks him <laughs> out, and you can 
Jack Johnson's on the floor and he like he he lifts his glove up because it was he wanted to block the sun from his eyes. Right. While the guys like counting him well, out. Yeah. The, uh, the idea was that he took a dive. Right. And but, then but but who knows? Uh, like uh, Dempsey and Furpo, this Argentinian guy, the, the the first round you watch it on YouTube. The, there's like. Uh, Furpo gets knocked down five times in the first round, or maybe it's like seven. Jesus. Dempsey's clobbering him, and then he comes back. And then back, they hover over him. And You're not allowed to Fur- get up. Furpo knocked. That was so many rules were made after this fight. Fur- Furpo knocks Dempsey out of the ring. He landed on the sports writer's table, and the sports writers helped him get back up. You know, he was so beloved and get back in the ring. So from that fight, a fighter could never, uh, he has to get back in the ring on his own ability. He can't be helped. And then also, in that fight, he's knocking Furpo down, and he's standing over him, and as he's trying to get up, he's just plowing him. Every time he's trying, and it was also that fight they made the the rule when a guy gets knocked down, you have to, you know, back away and go to a neutral (laughs) corner. Because back then, you could just stand over a guy, and as he's trying to get up, you can just keep punching. Yeah, that's most of the old fights. <laughs> yeah. If you watch most of those old fights, they would stand over you. How about, so that, as how about those old Father Tudo fights? In Which, by the way, makes more sense. Yeah, it really does make more sense. I mean, if a guy fucking knocks you down, why why do you let him get up again? Right. Why can't you stand over him? You you're you're the one who knocked him down. Pull up Dempsey Furpo. That the first like minute and a half is just. It's insane. Jack Dempsey was a murderous puncher, too, man. God damn. Those guys were tough as shit. You know, he started in, like, uh, he was born in Colorado, and he he lived in, uh, like, mining camps in Utah. And he would go to, uh, like, bars and mining camps and say, who's the toughest guy here? And that's how he, like, as a teenager, he'd just walk into a mining camp, and people would all bet on it, and he'd make a little money. But, like, he was just pure badass. Wow. That's a hard way to make a living. Sure man. is, man. That's a hard way. Going into the mining camp. Who's way. the toughest guy here? Yeah, mining. Jimmy's camp. Jimmy Burke's da- uh, uh, uncle Artie Burke used to do that. He when they were he worked on the railroad tracks when they would lay the railroad, and uh, those those camps. He was 16, but he grew up with a father who was a pro boxer who fought for the title. So he he would fight grown men. And that's how we learned how to fight. Boxing back then was a real, like a very popular sport. It's the way it, it was in, it, in Mexico. If you're if you're a great boxer, you're a national hero. I mean, they, they show up for those fights. And, well, that's and what it used to be like way. in America. Yeah. But America, exactly. nobody even knows who the heavyweight title holder is. I know. Have you looked? Have you seen who the best American heavyweight is? Well, I mean, just no one knows who the Klitschko's are. Right. They don't know. It's the amazing. average person doesn't know. It's Fight amazing. fans might know. It's amazing. The average person has no idea who the heavyweight champion. Why do you think that is? is? It's so corrupt. Well, no, because he's boring as fuck. Hmm. If he was exciting, like if he if he was you know like a Manny Pacquiao, everybody knows who Manny Pacquiao is. Yeah, Manny Pacquiao true. weighs 145 pounds. Everybody knows who he is. Yep. Why doesn't everybody know who the heavyweight title holder is? Because he jabs and hangs on. Jabs right. and hangs on. He's he's a jab and hold. Guy. The lighter fights are more exciting. Well, he's boring. Yeah. Mike Tyson was a heavy fighter. Yeah, those, he, those his f- fights were super exciting. Yeah. It's just a matter of the style of the fighter. And Klitschko's have this very intelligent, safe style, and it's very hard to beat them. They just jab the shit out of you, and they're tall as fuck. They use their reach advantage. You never get close. They don't get stupid and start winging punches with you. Right. You know, they're especially in a way, in a way Pacquiao. I mean, in the way Mayweather, what I noticed is that he stands on the outside and he takes one shot. It's really like one left, one shot. It's it's not like flurries and combinations because that's always dangerous. Right. If you watch him step back, he's not standing in a phone booth. He's moving, moving, stepping back, bang, come in, 
bang. And he might he might hit you with two sometimes. Yeah. Like like he'll he'll lead with like that 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 upper that that upper hook that um, up hook or whatever upper upper what, punch. I mean, what upper the, what's it called? What? what do you call it? Uppercut. Uppercut. Uh, sorry. He'll he'll uppercut and then maybe come over to the right, but that's it. And then he pulls back. But for the most part, he stands back and takes pot shots. He's really good at it. Well, Did what you he see does that, that Mayweather really fight? Uh, it was some Mexican guy. Me- Canelo Alvarez. I, and his, and the Mexican guy's dad gets up at the pre-fight press conference. Oh, no, no, no. You're keeps, thinking of a different guy. You're and he's calling Danny him. Uh, oh, Garcia. He keeps calling Mayweather like no, no, a no, white no, 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 no. It's no, not Zab Judah. Zab Judah. He was talking about Zab Judah. He's a front runner. He's a front yeah. runner and all that. He's yeah. a different guy. You're talking about uh, Garcia, Danny Garcia, yeah. whose uh, dad is like this really colorful character. Yeah. What was that but, with uh, Mayweather? He was saying that. No, too? no, no. no, okay. no. Zab, Zab Judah, who's Judah. like uh, Mayweather, like a similar. He's black. Okay, uh, that's I mean, how he's like. Never, him. never let your dad. Run well, his he's, mouth a, he's very, yeah. ta- very talented. Very talented fighter. He yeah, actually Zab fought. Really good. <laughs> they fought together. They fought. Yeah. Uh, he fought Mayweather. Yeah, Zab Judah's really good. Mayweather's just smarter than all of them. That's what he is. He's the smartest one of all of them. He knows how to not get hit. Yeah. He knows how to just pot shot you, hit you with jabs, use his reflex, use his smart boxing, and you, he doesn't get hit. You get hit, and he doesn't get it. It's amazing. Sorry. He's won the game. <laughs> That's what a lot of boxers that come from yeah. boxing fighter fa- fighter families. Yeah. Um, they, their, their fathers and uncles have learned, you know, there's Years no upside. Ago. There's no upside to eating out of a straw when you're 35 because your head, you've got pugilistic dementia. Let's well, start with not getting hit first. He's got his trainer. I mean, his trainer, Roger, is his fucking cousin. Or That's his, his uncle. Uh, his uncle. Yeah. And his trainer, Roger. He was a good. He's fighter, Black Mamba, yep. yeah. Roger Mayweather was a bad motherfucker, yep. but he's got problems from fighting. They all do. Look at Freddie Roach, who's like one of the greatest trainers ever, who used to be uh, a really tough fighter. He's got problems too. He's got Parkinson's, uh, trauma-related yeah. Parkinson's. Yeah. Everybody pays, man. There's no free rides. And my thoughts on a guy like George St. Pierre are: it would be beautiful to see a guy like him go out on top. I agree. But if he feels like he didn't put forth his best effort and he wants to go one more against Johnny Hendricks and show what he could really do, you know, but somewhere down the line we're going to have to have this conversation. Whether it's this fight, whether it's the next fight, whether it's two, three fights from now, there's going to be a certain point in time where George, who has more minutes inside the octagon than any fighter ever, that's one statistic that you look at. Yeah, five and a half hours. And then you also look at the one that he's taken 50% of the shots in the last three fights. Those are two... This disturbing statistics. Yep. Not disturbing, but I, here's the the best way to describe it. There are two things you should look at. You should look at those two things, sure. and that's the reality of this sport we live in, and the best that we that we, uh, that we watch. But the best way to to make sure that this doesn't happen is to discuss it. That's the only way. If we, if we keep this shit in the dark and no one talks about it and no one ever brings up the fact that, hey, you know, you're not going to be able to take shots like that forever. There has to be a point in time. You can do, safely do it for a certain amount of time as long as you're careful, as long as you have good defense, as long as you're smart with your training. But there's going to come a point in time when you probably shouldn't do it anymore. I was kind of shocked that the, the num- they counted the number of times he's taken a blow. It's 875 times in the past, in, in, in the five and a half hours he's been in the octagon. That does not count the number of times he's gotten hit in the head in training camp. Yeah. Yeah. And training camp, you know, I've talked to enough fighters where you're, you, walk, you walk away with a headache, man. Of course you, you do. Know? Of course you do. You're not, you're getting hit in the face. Look at his dude, face. Wow. Right yeah, dude, trust me. There's something going on. You got to be careful. You know, when he was talking after the fight about losing memory, he lost memory during the fight. It's not cool. Yeah. It's, I don't like seeing that. And he'd also told me on this podcast that he, um, I mean, he wonders what it is that he like misses time sometimes. And he actually was wondering, like, you know, not saying that it was aliens, but it could be possible that, you know, when people talk about missing time from abductions, that that happens to him. Mm-hmm. You know, that this is something that he's had from the time he was young. I'm like, man, 
I don't know. I mean, maybe it's possible. It's possible that it's aliens. But it's also, there's other things to think about when you start talking about, like, missing time. When you start talking about, there's, there's, there's a real issue with cognitive function if you're talking about, like, periods of your life that disappear. I don't think anything's worth that. I don't think, yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know champion, what it is. You know? It might be nothing. It might be a nutrition thing. It might, I'm not obviously not a neurologist. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what the fuck he's actually experiencing. I don't know if maybe it's just a deja vu thing. I don't know what the fuck it is. But when someone starts talking about things like that and also talking about possibly retiring, mm. all those things should be taken into consideration and it should be approached very carefully. We also know that continued head trauma from football and boxing and things does cause problems. There's no way around it. I mean, there's no way. Yeah. It seems like everybody who does it for a certain amount of time, there's a certain number of times you can get hit. There's a, where you start feeling that you have damage. Like Chuck Liddell is the perfect example. Chuck Liddell used to have a fucking iron jaw. It was one of the things that was so scary about him is that he could knock you out and it was really hard to get him out of there. Mm. He has so much fucking heart and so mu such a, an intense high drive to finish the the fight and he took tremendous shots like right on the button got rocked and blasted you right back and knocked you out happened all the time mm. he would just scare the fuck out of guys because he would just charge you and he was just throwing bombs your way yeah. and taking everything you throw at him and spitting it out and he hit hard huh like what he did to tito yeah like watch watch this thing when he stops tito he just fucking attacks him I mean, he was a berserker. Dude, he was a berserker. Look at this. Look at this. This is a ferocious wow. attack. God. Put put a Chuck Liddell versus Babalu. Put that one on. You want to see a, another one like that? Wow. Chuck Liddell was one of the That's scariest champions thunder. ever. He was one of the scariest guys ever because he beat guys even that were like more skilled than him. He he beat guys that like he probably shouldn't have beaten. He just, he beat everybody, you know, along the way learning, you know, how to become the champion. He was just smashing people. He could just uncork that right hand on price, you. he's paid price, hasn't he? I mean, of course. It got towards the later end of his career where he just couldn't take shots anymore. Mm -hmm. He just couldn't take him anymore. And essentially what he described it as, his brain knows what's coming. He's almost like he's too tough for his own good. And his brain knows Shuts the off. kind of punishment that he's going to get because it's happened so many times before. Because he would just bite down his mouthpiece and just fucking deal with it and get to you and blast you out. You know? And his brain just wouldn't let him do it anymore. So he'd get hit and his brain would go like, Chuck, please. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Because the yeah. same thing with um, Vanderlei Silva. Like, he, he just... He goes right out now, you know, when he gets hit. Uh, not as bad. I think Vanderlei's chin is probably a little more durable than Chuck was, Chuck's was at the end. You know, Chuck at the end, uh, he just, it just, he was really in good shape. He still had hard, you know, he still the, the, could hit hard, still yeah. had the desire, just couldn't take the shots anymore. There's also the idea that as these guys are learning and they're working with boxers, as they learn how to punch the way Johnny Hendricks does, I don't care how strong your jaw is, you're not taking a shot from Johnny Hendricks. He puts people to sleep because he hits so hard. And if well, he connects, see you later. If he connects flush, yeah. yeah. That's the, the key is, like, how hard is he actually hitting you? Is he ever hitting you, like, dead on the money? Like, if you watch this past weekend, Tyron Woodley knocked out Josh Koscheck. Wow, yeah. He hit him with a right hand that was as as hard a punch as a human can throw. Like, as hard a what punch. What a body, by the way. Built like a superhero. Yeah, it doesn't even look real. I mean, come on. We've talked about him three podcasts in a row. It's clear we're in love with him. Let's keep talking about but, it. Um, I never get tired of that. He hits so fucking hard that, like, if he hits you flush, man... 
Very few people are going to be yeah. able to absorb that. But every now and then you say that, there's some Mark Hunt type dude that could just take it. Yeah, well, some he's, he's Samoan. Let's yeah. just start there. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> those, are, those are some tough motherfuckers. I got friends who played pro football, and they said Samoan somehow is just a whole different thing. <laughs> they have, like, thicker bones, man. Oh, bro. my God. They're, like, bigger people. Plus, they, have, they come from a whole long line of warriors. Yeah. Polynesian people. Yeah. You know, Samoans. Yeah. They come from New Zealanders. They come, oh, there's a long Tongans, line. Some bad motherfuckers. Maoris. Apparently, uh, Maoris, Tongans, yeah, and apparently Samoans. Samoans are not to be fucked with. I, yeah. Years ago, I lived in San Francisco, and there were these guys that, uh, these Samoan guys that worked at this garage where I got my car fixed. But there was this one guy who I thought was this really gentle, wonderful guy. He was the one that I, you know, kind of considered like my friend, you know. Um, and I took my car there one day, and he wasn't there. And I'm like, you know, where was, uh, you know, whatever his name was. And uh, his friend goes, oh, yeah, he's in jail. He got into, he was playing pool, and somebody pissed him off in a bar, and he beat a guy to death with the, with the, the pool, the ball. Oh. Simone, he just grabbed, Simone with a pool grabbed, ball. He just God. grabbed a ball off the, off the billiards table and beat a guy to death with it. Oh, and he Jesus. seemed like the nicest, gentlest guy. Oh, my God. A lot of guys are until you get pissed <laughs> off, and they got a pool ball in there. Oh. You imagine that's how you're Is this the Babalu thing? Out. Look at that. Look yeah. at the reach. Look at the way he used to just, oh, my God. Yeah, he was a murderer, dude. He was a murderer. Oh, my Chuck, God. at his best, was one of the scariest Big John guys McCarthy. ever. Look at that. Look at that reaching. No, that was Larry Landless. Ouch. Yeah, Lord. Chuck was fucking He's brutal, got a wide man. head, man. Chuck was brutal. Wow. Yeah, the but every guy gets to a time like look if you could repair the human body if you could get chuck liddell back to the the the, the ability to absorb punishment that he had when he was 20 mm. he would be dominating again today he'd be smashing people he would be smashing people really? he was a, yeah he was i mean there was guys who could beat him well, Ramp, I'm saying rampage yeah. rampage beat him in pride he, he went right. into that fight injured but when rampage beat him in the ufc he was probably chuck was probably already starting to show signs of wear Rampage knocked him out, and then uh, Rashad Evans knocked him out bad with one punch. Yeah. And then Rich Franklin knocked him out. So there was a lot going on with Chuck. Keith Jardine dropped him. There was a lot going on. Which he, he had clearly gotten to a point where he's taking too many shots. But if you can get him back to when he was like in his early 20s when he was first fighting in the UFC, he would be a top contender or the champion. But guy, guys, guy. guys, their boxing now is much better than it was then, isn't it? He didn't care. He would he, First of all, his boxing wasn't that bad. Right. He had good counters. It's just his attack was so ruthless. Right. I mean, he was Chuck Liddell was trained by John Hackleman, who's a, a very knowledgeable trainer. And Chuck's capable of being as technical as anybody. But he doesn't. He hits you, and he knows you're hurt. And the swarm is coming, bitch. It's locusts over the hills. It's lightning and thunder. Yeah. It's a fucking earthquake you can't stand up for. And knuckles are flying towards your fucking face, whether Jesus. you like it or not. There's not a lot of technique involved. No. I mean, there's technique, but there's not a lot of strategies. I should what I should say. He's just uncorking power shot after power shot. And if you, you know, ten, if you connect to his chin somewhere along the way, yeah, good luck stopping him. Good luck. He could take Ooh. a fucking tremendous shot, man. God, look at him knocking out Randleman. Is that yeah. Randleman? Look yeah, at him. that was Randleman. That's, an Olympi that's an Olympian. That's Mike Tyson's better-looking brother. Right he there. knocked Randleman out with a leaping left hook. Jesus. Yeah, he 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 was a mar fucking monster, man. He was a murderer. He spent a lot of time he knocking was, dudes out. When look he at was this. at the peak, when he was the best, he was a fucking ferocious fighter. He's one of the main reasons why the UFC became so successful. Because watching him fight... 
was like watching a fucking war. You would watch, it was like, you two are going to stand in the middle of the cage. He's going to impose his will on you and just put knuckles to your face, shins to your Vandalay forehead. Right yeah, fine. that's him and Vandalay. This was already after Chuck had, or had probably, you know, he was probably in the twilight of his career when him and Vandalay went at it. He just didn't quite have as much pep to his step. As he did. Look at him, though. But it was still a fucking amazing fight. What a fight. I got that way, fight Vandal- up Vandal- in my Vandal- wall. Vandalay is so wow. tough. Look at Vandalay. That's on the wall, this uh, this fight, a big picture of it. It was like, like when the, they made the um, that gym in my wow. back, my uh, garage. Look at them taking those shots, man. They took photos from classic fights. And to me, this was like one of the all-time Who classics. Who won this fight? Chuck won a decision. It was a great fight, though. But it was like to me, it was like such a classic because this was the fight that we always wanted to see. When Vandalay was in Pride and Chuck was running the UFC, everybody wanted to see Chuck versus Vandalay. He was, was so much fight. faster than you, you think, too. Like, uh, well, he know. could knock you out by moving backward. Like, look at the Randy Couture knockouts. He knocked out Randy while he was moving backward. Like, if you slide that video back a little bit, the one when he knocked out Randy, he knocked, yeah, it was right after this. He knocked out Randy, like Randy was charging at him, and he would slide back and uncork these punches. There wasn't a lot of wind-up in the shot that he knocked Randy out with. He was just... Loose. He was loose. Well, he just was a wild man. Like, here it goes. Watch, this is the one. This is when he fought. Look at this, how he knocks out Randy. Backs up. Boom. Boom. As he's backing up, Randy's charging, and as he's backing up, he clips him with, like, you know, a 100 millisecond right hand. That takes your fucking face Jesus. off. He was the awesome. Ferocity, man. He's one of the reasons why the UFC became so successful. Yeah. Because watching his fights, you were guaranteed you were going to see fury. You were going to see primal fury. You were going to see one of the wildest men alive. Like I like he- that you described him one time the greatest way you went. You, you said he's a wolf, and somebody said, "What do you mean?" He said, "He's the kind of guy who'll jump in a fire and say, let 'Let's see who burns first, bitch.' It's <laughs> the greatest way to describe that." Yeah, thing. he would take you into Let's deep water. Let's see who's going to burn first. Yeah. And for the longest time, he was successful doing that because he could take a tremendous shot. But ultimately, his wild, reckless nature led to him taking quite a few shots. Yeah. And you know, he look. The UFC took care of him. You know, he wanted one last fight. He got it with Franklin, and then he decided that's it. And now he has a job. He like he's like an ambassador for the sport. Goes all over the country, tours bases, tours gyms. He go, you know, he he he's got like a, a great gig in the UFC now. They take care of him, and I love the fact that they told him like this is you know enough is enough. Yeah. He got to a point where you know Chuck and and Dana had a long standing relationship, and before Chuck was in the UFC or before Dana ran the UFC, Chuck was. Uh, being managed by Dana, mm. as was Tito. Mm. Dana used to manage them, and you know when he started. I didn't UFC, know that. Yeah, on my on, I did a podcast with Brendan Schaub, the fighter and the kid with Dana in his office, and he talked about how he had already boxed Tito, and it didn't go well for Tito because well Tito wasn't then, a boxer; yeah, he was a wrestler. I, know, I, know. I mean, he would take guys and he, down, and, and he smash said that. Him. he said that in an MMA fight, Tito would pull his head out with his spine and everything but he yeah. said but he challenged him to a boxing match and you know and it was it was funny he dana still gets crazy like the fact that i said to him what keeps your edge like what what drives you he goes i want this to be the biggest sport in the world and i said you're the most bristly dude he answers his tweets and fights with people on twitter and somebody was like why do you do that and he goes because it's fucking fun. That's why. <laughs> and on, on my on the fighter and the kid because it's on on Fox. They bleep out fuck. They bleep out every. You know he's literally like every other word is fuck. But 
Um, he's got such an edge, that guy. They bleep it out. It's so annoying. You need to stop doing podcasts on somebody else's wing. I you don't just need someone's that. wing. Yeah. You don't need a wing. You don't need anybody that ever beeps you. That Stop your me. stupid nonsense. It's so dumb. It kills me. That's so dumb. Yeah. It's so, and you know what? Not by on the my way, podcast, not on the Brian Callen show. It's going to make people avoid that it. That goes against the reason of having a podcast. Yeah, yeah it annoys people, man. Yeah. It annoys people. I get a lot of mail about it. I'm sorry. I always, I'm always having to apologize for it. Yeah, it's gross, man. The idea that someone could fucking tell you what you can or can't say. Yeah. It's, it's it. against podcasting, exactly. in my opinion. Exactly. The whole point of this is that we, we can do what we want, how. Yeah, why'd you let a corporation do that? I don't. I didn't know they were going to do it. Bail on my, that my stupid mistake. gig. Do you have a contract? Yeah, one year. You son of a bitch. Yeah. After it's over, tell them the only way you're doing it again is if, listen, it's a podcast, Fox. Let's do, do this right. Do you have right. a network? Maybe I'll come over to your network. I'll make a network. All right. I'll make one. There we go. I'll we put got the a Brian Callen show on your network. Yeah, just you can use my office. You can use the. I'm you moving can use out of here. Studio. I'm gonna yeah. be your neighbor soon. Dude, you know that's happening, studio. right? Use the studio. Listen, right. man, you you got to be on your own. This, this yeah. is, doesn't make any sense. But everybody thinks they have to do it with somebody else. Yeah. Everybody thinks like, oh, I gotta. If I was on the Fox, more people, more eyes are gonna. The that's way right. you get eyes on you is the goddamn internet, man. It's people that enjoy it and they tell people they enjoy it. And do and a good it job. Spreads. And that's do a good it. job. That's it. That's all you got to do. Make something that people like. Boom. Right. It's that easy. You don't need Fox or HBO or Showtime or why would you need them if you're going to do a podcast? If you want to do a show, yeah, you need Fox. Yeah. You know, if you want to do a a drama or a sitcom or a talk show. But look at at one hour specials now. Nowadays, you can start doing almost your own thing. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, you definitely can. You could release them on the internet. A lot of people have done it. But But the bottom line is anybody that's telling you to not swear. I know. What kind, right. of game, what kind of game are we playing? Exactly. What kind of silly game are we playing? I lost my mind. Bad words. I lost my mind, by the way. It's right. not TV. You don't have to work. For, uh, it's not the FCC. The FCC's not involved. So if the FCC's not involved, what are you Why doing? Why in the world you're, are you're we I'm, I, I'm loving my podcast. And, I, you know, I do it real small. I don't have any commercials. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And I'm, like, talking to people around the world. This guy, Des Bishop. You ever heard of him? No. I have. But He's, listen, man, you don't need to have, just because you have commercials doesn't mean anybody's going to tell you what to do. Right. Nobody can tell you what to do. I'm, I have a lot of commercials. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. You don't allow it. It's right. real simple. The idea that someone would allow it or that you need Censor to allow it. Censor your language. It's, it, but it's, it's not necessary. And there's this thing in your head where, you know, I don't have anybody telling me what to do, so I don't have commercials. You can have commercials, too. Like, right. You just don't let them tell you what to do. It's like they don't have to be mutually exclusive. The, the, we're, we're brainwashed. I we're, stand corrected. But it's a silly thing. It's a silly thing. Like you think that corporations wouldn't want to have anything to do with you because you're swearing. Everybody fucking swears. Exactly. Right. If you don't Inclu- swear, I don't want to talk to you. Including the corporate. Right. Every time I do a corporate gig, they're like, don't use the F word. They fucking love it. I'm just going to talk to you like a normal human being. Guess what? They say fuck too. Oh my God. And shit and things like well, that. Well, it's even more because it's suppressed. That's These people are all weird. buttoned down. They're not allowed to talk about this shit. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're talking about sucking your own dick. You're talking do you, about. Do you know where you I'm going to be swearing, by the way? November 20. 20- 9th and oh, 30th <laughs> at Wise Guys in Utah, Salt Lake City. I'll just tell you right now. I love it there. You'll Have you done it. that club? No, I hear great things, though. And I hear Salt Lake City is like one of the best places to perform. So do I. Because people are so fired up for anybody to come into town and just start talking some shit. That's what because I'll be there's doing. there's so much button-down you know, thinking yeah. there. There's right. so much you know, really strong. Which, by the way, Mormons are, if you're going to give me a cult that's going to be my neighbor, yeah. I'll take Mormon all day. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're some great. of the nicest fucking they're great. people. They're, they're sweethearts. They help you and everything. Yeah, they have a great sense of community. Yep. I mean, they believe some wacky shit, but they're nice. No, absolutely. They're that nice. wacky shit, whatever it is with them, it seems to work a little bit. 
They are uh, they go, do a lot of help for non Mormons yeah. whenever there's disaster. So I'll be in Salt Lake City. That's hilarious. November twenty ninth. November thirtieth. I'm at the State Theater in Austin, Texas. State That's Theater. Oh. November thirtieth. Uh, Austin, Texas. I was going to tell Rose. you this guy Des Bishop. Really interesting guy. He's American. I'm about to plug you and you. Oh, I'm sorry. Please, plug. please plug I was away. Saying, Tom Rhodes is a fucking hilarious comedian. Austin, Texas. If you uh, the people in Austin, especially, I know what kind of comedy you freaks like. And Tom Rhodes is your man. He's you're an old school road dog, dude. You and I have been friends for fucking God knows how long. We met each other when we were on NBC together. We had the Tom Rhodes show back when wow. he was in his long haired days. Wow. That's right. Yeah, we hung out together at one of those functions. Was yeah, it when like, they, it was, uh, it was. I think it was. It was in New York City. They had yeah. this big announcement of the season at the Lincoln Center, and all the people, like stars from the show, yeah. from each show, would come across the stage. Let they me, let me announce, get him. We and him they had an after out. party, yeah. a big swanky affair, and uh, thank God you were there, because it was all like actor people and stuff. <laughs> thank God you and were there. You and I like were yeah, we hugged. magnet and steel. We were like, we were hanging out, we were, you know, you gotta go to these things, and you drink, and you hobnob, and they were nice people for the most part, but they were all actors. Yeah. And then I was like, Tom Rhodes. Yeah. He's like, Joe Rogan, like, oh, fellow comedian, give me a hug. 18, like, 18 yeah. years ago, 17 years ago, Tom Rhodes was, I, I've always thought of you because I told you this already, but I'd worked really hard on my stand-up. I was a new comic. I got up and I, I did an okay job in front of some people with some stuff. And you looked at me and you were such an established comic and you literally looked at, at me and you, you, went, you went, you're a scream, bro. You're a scream. And that was a seminal moment for me because I went, if, I, if Tom Rhodes said that, and I know you meant it, I, I was like, I'm doing something right. I'm in the right direction. That's pretty cool for, you know, and you, you didn't have to say that. You just went out of your way. You don't remember it because you obviously, are, you know. I'm Those a fan of good moments. comedy, man. Yeah. I'm, you know, and I'm not afraid to tell a young guy that, you know, yeah. I think he's got a good future. You I, are. I You've always it. been like that, and I, I love that. Goes I a love long guys way. like that. You and Stan Hope's like that. I'm like that. The warrior spirit, man. You gotta, you know, every warrior needs to eventually move on to wise men. Well, that and is... you know, you gotta when you see a young warrior, and you know the guy's, you know, he's approaching stand up from like a pure place, and you know. It's. I think it's good to encourage people. I think it is as well. But so I. I love it just because I don't older look at it. Older guys did it to me, you know. Yeah, they did to me as well. I don't look at it in terms of like an old warrior or a young warrior. I look at it in terms of I love stand up, and when someone's doing good stand up, I enjoy it. I like yeah. it as a as a person in the audience. Right. I enjoy it. I'll never. I'll never stop. I've met people that did. Yeah. I met. I've met a lot of people that really love stand up, then became a stand up, and then didn't love it anymore. Right. Like, oh, it's I, terrible when you see the light. I go love out it. Of I love it eyes. more and more. I, I did a gig. I went to the Friars Club in L.A. and I get in there. I'm with my why? friends. I'll tell you why. Because I was somebody <laughs> asked me to do it. I get there and it's literally like scattering of people in suits, and I can hear them eating. And I look at my buddies and I go like this. I say, dude. I'm just telling you, I'm going to do 40 minutes just on birds. I'm doing 40 minutes on bird humor only. I get up there. My friends are howling crickets. Everybody else is like, what's this guy doing? My friends are dying, So right? you decided to tank it on purpose. Well, I mean, just I just was, I was just being fun. esoteric and fun and crazy. I get summoned over to a table, and a guy says to me, an older man says, you got a lot of guts and a lot of imagination, kid. You're going to go a long way. And it was red buttons. Wow. That's wow. pretty cool. It's nice. It would been better if somebody else told that story instead of you telling it about yourself. <laughs> well, I wasn't hey, good. So I wanted to tell you about the, this guy, Des Bishop, man. He's a really interesting dude. Uh, he's originally from New York. He's, his, his parents, uh, he's got deep uh, family ties in Ireland, so he went to school there. That's where he started being a comedian. He's gone on to have a, a, a brilliant television career in Ireland. Uh, he's living in Beijing now for the past year. Because he wants to learn Mandarin Chinese and do stand-up comedy. 
and Chinese. Wow. So like I did shows in Beijing with him at this really cool place called the Bookworm. It was a it's a bookstore with like a full service bar in the center. And it was it was really great. See it a place that held like a hundred, you know, the weekends were sold out. It was really cool, multi ethnic, multinational people. But his story is amazing. I arrived there the first night and I went to this Chinese uh, language local open mic night that he he puts on and hosts, and here's this guy that I know, and he he's he's doing comedy in Mandarin Chinese. Now, how many to Mandarin, a room full of Chinese people? How many Chinese comedians are there? Are there, there were. A bunch? It's brand new there. Brand new. Brand new. There is it legal? There's a guy named Joe Wong who apparently he he was a comic in Boston and he did Letterman. And now he's moved back there. Whoa. Uh, and he's like the, he's there like, you know, whatever, spiritual you leader of comedy. steal the shit out of people's ass. <laughs> could you <laughs> ever? Could to, you <laughs> ever? Because <laughs> we're Chris Rock stuff. That's There was hilarious. a guy who did that in Holland who did it with Bill Hicks material. He did it in Dutch. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he was uh, becoming really popular, but then it got out what he had done. Wow. Yeah, it was oh, essentially man. like doing all Bill Hicks's act, and it's like this young man has got a really a lot of interesting things to say. He's got a very bright mind, and people are like, wait a minute, I heard that shit before. Sociopath. But th- yeah. this this guy Des, man, it's amazing. He's you know, and after he told, he, we're talking afterwards, and he's like, yeah, I'm kind of like I feel like I'm back at open mic night level. The guy's been a comedian for almost twenty years, wow. and uh, he's like, yeah, I, uh, you know, I wish my Chinese was better. He's like being a typical comedian. Yeah. Not giving himself enough credit, and I'm That's like, a lot of I'm guts. like, dude, I just watched you do ten fucking minutes in Chinese God. and get laughs. That's incredible. Don't don't be coming off going, ah, he still got some work to do. I mean, that, he did all your best what, jokes. What, what, what do you, um, Tom? Has, has stand up changed for you, Tom? After all this year, these years, like, is, or do you still look at it in the same way? And I, you know, I it's, know. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you have t- times in your life when you're up and down, but I mean, I've. I've always loved it. Uh, I think as far as contemporary comedy, I think it's way better than it used to be. Mm. Uh, like back when I started, I think there's way more originality and edginess and uh, dark humor. I think like back in the in like the late '80s, uh, there was there was a lot of like conformity. I felt like a lot of guys were trying to be Jerry Seinfeld and get on television. Yeah, me too. Where was there wasn't like, a lot of ferocious voices, and I think that's why like. You know, Bill Hicks stood out so much in the era, and that, you know, like uh, Pryor was just speaking pure truth. Right. You know that kind of thing. I think now there's there's way more dangerous, interesting stuff happening in comedy. So I mean, as a as a comedy lover, I love it. Mm. The only thing that's missing right now is clubs. There's not as many clubs as there used to be. But I think as far as like ideas. There's more information now that are co- that's getting to the comedians. There's more stories. There's more well, points also of view. To the audience. There's more things that you could read. Yeah. There's more. I mean, you're getting crazy stories you could talk about on stage all day long on Twitter. Every fucking day, your Facebook is filled with some one nutty story after another nutty story that can ultimately be turned into a bit. Mm-hmm. If you have the time and the resources, you can get on stage. You can kind of craft an act today. On you know, it's a fucking. There's a wealth of information that's yeah. coming at you. But it's just harder to find clubs in a lot of places. They, I don't know. I, I think uh, don't you think a lot of clubs are opening and in some places. Uh, and like, I, I think the worldwide comedy scene definitely is exploding right now. What yeah. if you're in like St. Louis? What do you got? You got like is it an improv there? Is that yeah, what it's it a funny is? bone? Is a funny bone? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to like start out, they have an open mic night. Yeah, I mean, they do. What's the scene like? They do. You know, it, I, is it more than one club? I mean, ideally, you want several clubs because most likely you're going to burn one of those bridges. 
Because you're, if you're a comedian, you're probably like temperamental, you're impulsive, you, 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 you do still, stupid shit, you drink, right, you do drugs. Right. It's, it's, people still don't really come to comedy as much. I mean, like uh, I was talking to Bill Burr about this, like, you know, I was watching him the other day in that show we did, and, and, I, and I said, you know, you, now of course Bill does theaters and stuff, but for the most part, for a long time, I always say that there are people out there that will make you laugh way harder than any movie you've ever seen, yet they still can't sell out on a Friday. It's just right. Well, Bill was on my, my podcast a few weeks ago, and he said he goes, "I call that period killing in obscurity <laughs> yeah. when you're yeah. just like killing, and you haven't, you're not selling tickets, yeah. and you're." Uh, we you all know. go through that. Yep. You all go through that moment before anything really hits for you, where you're like, "God damn, like this this stuff is sounding pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm getting into a groove here. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I'm actually like a legit headliner. I wouldn't mind telling someone to come see me." You know, it takes like 10 years before you feel that. Yeah. But once you do feel it, no one knows who the fuck you are. <laughs> like, you know, you could be... You're in a hotel somewhere in as, Kansas. Yeah, you could be as good or even better maybe than some people that are on television. No question. But nobody know. Like, Diaz is a perfect example of that for the longest time. Totally. Joey Diaz was absolutely murdering it and no one knew. Yeah. I think you're a good example We knew. A lot we of people don't friend. know how funny you are. Yeah. A lot of people don't know. Man, they think of you as an actor. They don't know right. how funny you are as a stand-up. Yeah. You're fucking hilarious, dude. I've taken my friend Justin is he uh came to see us in uh, Vegas. Mm-hmm. He was raving about how funny you were. He was crying. <laughs> he kept repeating your lines and shit. That's, and that's one of those things where like people know you now more, I think, even because of the internet than they knew you from TV shows you did, like Absolutely. Mad TV yeah. or This podcast actually has been a hugely instrumental in in getting people at least to my shows and stuff. But know? think about how crazy it is. All the movies that you've done, all the different things that you've done, and there's still a lot of people that didn't hear about you yeah. yet. But then, you well, let's not mention any names, but we all know certain people who sell a lot of tickets, and then you, you know, your friends go back and come back from seeing them and go, what the fuck did I just watch? Right. Like, oh my God, that That's guy's right. terrible. Yeah. And you go, well, you know, it's different. You're, you're on a show, you got writers, and like, yeah. sorry. You know, but there's a lot of people that are like, Killing on stage to fifty people a night. That's right. Man. That's right. <laughs> the owner's mad at him. Can't figure out. T- you got to do fucking everything. Press morning. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. You got to do Every three radio interview. shows on the Friday. Three yeah. radio shows in the morning. Two in the <laughs> afternoon. The place is still half full. No one's. There. Hey man, it it's is brutal. about the, it is about the internet. I've learned that from you. Like now that I've been tweeting and stuff, it is you can get people to your shows a lot easier. You know? Well, Thank that's God. a nice thing. But you know what's really about the internet? You're entertaining people. Yeah. You're giving these people entertainment. Yeah. The reason why you have this connection with them, they're coming to see you with the cl- in the clubs, is you've already I- entertained them. They enjoy your your work. They mm-hmm. enjoy you, whatever you put out. They've taken in, and That's it's true. enhanced. They've some feedback. And it's so more it's personal. Nice you know, I've had people come up to me in London after shows, and they've heard me on your show, and they've you know they've heard my podcast, and it's like they know you. Yeah, it's not just like a a little seven minute TV spot. These people know like serious details about your life and yeah. your philosophy and the way you feel. You would about never things. be able to get this sort of a connection with people if you just did Letterman a hundred times. Right. You wouldn't they would never get you. Well, we're also at an age now, the three of us, where uh, and I've noticed this, a lot of guys are they don't have guidance and they don't have a responsible older male to teach them certain things. And we're the age that their father would be. And I, I notice, and I start, I'm starting to take it very seriously, like, you know, when people listen to me on this podcast or on my podcast or whatever, they're really listening, and they're, and they're paying attention. And, and 
in a way, you feel responsible. You feel like, you know, I'm way more careful with what I say. I'm way more careful with the information I give out. I got to make sure I know it. Remember, Joe. Well, you are now. Right. We used to it's... start this podcast. I'd just be <laughs> spewing shit. I'd be like, and another thing. Research and one all. more truth. People would get so mad Dude. at me. They would send me these fucking text messages. Oh, my Joe God. Cowan, he's spreading disinformation. <laughs> right. Well, that's, I... It's just called talking shit. It's what we talking always Talking shit. Yeah, well, and you then, heard something, but you heard it wrong or yeah. whatever, and you start talking. But then people are, you realize, oh, 8 million people are listening to you. It's like, I better fucking start paying attention to what I say here because. Uh, well, that's the thing with technology now. Everybody can call you on your shit, shit instantly. And that's I like, should, the, like by the, the way. And should, and should like by the, the way. iPhones are totally little yeah. answering machines. Look at my, and they, look at my and they should. Picture. They oh, should, by the by way. The way. Look, oh, by the way. Oh, by the way. With my shirt oh, open and my person. I told lips. you that story about the time I uh, I was with my wife and we're, I'm, we're, like, we're like talking about Guantanamo Bay and I'm like, what are, I wonder what the top 10 torture songs were, the, the top songs that we torture these people with. She whips it up on the phone. Two seconds later, we got the list. Like, Where are they? Number one was uh, a song called Fuck Your God by Deicide or Diocide. <laughs> I would tell you, you know, some death metal thing. That's totally appropriate. Oh, but like the rest, <laughs> the rest of the songs made absolutely no sense whatsoever. It was like um, Queen, We Will Rock You yeah. was one of them. Well, after that the Brian May guitar riff, I could listen to that over and over. So could I. Uh, Don McLean's uh, American, Pie? American Pie was oh, one of God. them. Is that, this is it. Fuck Your God. Diary. Meow makes TV commercial. Meow 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 meow. Is that on there? Oh, that's great. Enter Sandman by Metallica. I could listen to that over and over. I can't think of Metallica and not think of Jim Brewer. Barney the Dinosaur. That would Jim break Jim Brewer? Why? Yeah, because Jim Brewer loves Metallica. Yeah. Does he? Yeah, well, I remember that yeah, first He's friends heard with him all, too. Yeah, yeah. now he is. He's when great. I first met Brewer, he would fucking, he would just be like rocking out to himself. Singing Metallica songs. <laughs> what Metallica. happened to Guns N' Roses? Brewer. You know about this. Well, what happened to Axl Rose? Did you just go crazy? I think everybody goes crazy when you get that famous. Hmm. I think that's what's happening to Kanye West. That's what happens to Lady Gaga. That's what happens to everybody. They're t- they're too famous. Yeah. It's almost unmanageable. That's what happened to Madonna. And I think, look, they hang on to it better than probably any of us would, but they're still crazy. Yeah. You go crazy. You go crazy. How can you not go crazy? I would. Everybody goes crazy. Can you imagine being Lady Gaga? Can you imagine? What is that like? I know a woman who dated a very famous celebrity I won't mention. (laughs) She was saying, she was telling me that he got to a point where he just couldn't really, he was just like, you get so famous that he would have like these sex parties and he would just, she ended up getting sucked into that vortex and she's banging his friends and he'd be sitting on the couch like Nero watching Whoa. this shit. It just got crazier and crazier and crazier. Yes, crazy. and it got crazier and crazier <laughs> and then he couldn't he couldn't come unless he was like unless it was she was doing crazy shit like oh. laying her tongue on another girl. Yeah, I really feel bad for that guy. I know. Such a sympathetic. She, he kept having to amp it up and he would really he had an exterior. He was really conservative, like people thought. But when they'd get together, it was just fucking on and he just and she had to finally break up with him because finally she was in a rotation. And but hold she, on a second, wow. you say when you say he's conservative, like his appearance or his public persona was oh, yeah, a, yeah, conservative. Yeah, very accomplished, famous, famous guy. Okay, so well, you remember very... that Bob Crane guy from Hogan's Heroes? Yes. He liked to, he was banging chicks all day. Oh, yeah. His buddy didn't want to give it up. Yeah, That's why. Yeah, yeah. He, he was, was getting tired of off it. the rails. Well, he was murdered, he was murdered. They, by they, his buddy. They believe who yeah. he was banging girls with. Yeah, I don't know if anybody was ever convicted of that. Nobody was, I don't believe. Yeah, really? I think that was I a think, good. Did you see that movie? It's a really good movie. Interesting. No, what's it called? Greg Kinnear. Autofocus. 
Yeah, I think so. Really yeah, I think it's called movie. Autofocus. Really and speaking movie. of Lady Gaga, uh, <laughs> did you know Bradley Manning, who took all those military secrets yes. and gave them to WikiLeaks and endangered the lives of American service men and women all over the world, uh, when he would he had these discs on his uh, desk. Is that a statement or a question? Is, no, no, is, he had these discs on his desk. Uh, and so when like sensitive information would pop up, he would pop the disc in and download all this information. Right. So he labeled the discs Lady, Lady Gaga. Gaga. Yeah. And so like people walk by his desk going, "This fucking guy's listening to Lady Gaga." Yeah, that way no. So I think it. that Lady Gaga should also be implicated for treason. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just want to make Tom, a case for that. a little extreme, just, sir. Just want to make a case oh, for that I right now. I think you. she should be implicated. Yeah, I think yeah. she's she's treasonous. A little bit. Just a little bit. Manning, a little treasonous yourself. Bradley Manning wants to get a sex change. A little, yeah, uh, Chelsea. Wants yeah. to be Chelsea Manning. He's a cutie. He's a little cutie pie. How dare you? Very petite. I know. You're going to do all that and then want, down the, to that. want the government to pay for yours. Well, that's what he wanted. Yeah. Well, maybe, the, I don't know. Who knows how long he's wanted that. But I couldn't imagine what it would be like just to be in the position that that guy's in. You know, just to be in the position to have this information that you think needs to get out, so you release it. And then they keep you in solitary, naked, for like years. For years. They're like, the guy was, I mean, he was going crazy. Bradley Manning? Is that what they did to him? Yeah, psychological torture. Yeah. Yeah, they they did some, and they kept him in, they keep you in solitary for a while. It's nothing to joke about when you really think about it. That's torture. It's called torture. For years, they kept him in solitary. They kept him in solitary for a long time. And, you know, now, who knows? I mean, they, it might not even be true that he wants to have a sex change. They might have just released that. Who right. the fuck knows? Right, right, right. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it might just be like, check check out what we're going to put about you in the news. You know, look, you want to have a sex change. Well, his like, lawyer, his right, lawyer to destroy someone's character. Yeah, maybe his lawyer's working for the government. Yeah. Does the, did, did he have the chance to actually give uh, a, a speech I think at his trial? I think he mentioned the fact that he was... Wanted to have a gender change. At his trial, I'm saying, did he give a speech about I why he did I what he know. did? Or... I don't know. The whole thing is really strange, man, because it's changed our whole idea of what the government is. Between the Bradley Manning WikiLeaks thing and the Edward Snowden thing, it's essentially changed our entire idea of what the government is. Like in one fell swoop, it all became this giant spy network, which we never would have imagined. Mm. We never would have imagined. The NSA's reach and all that. Yeah, all right. that. So it's amazing how things have changed. People don't realize what a big impact that really has had on the confidence of the American people. Because now... All the people that were like borderline believing in Alex Jones and wondering what the fuck is really going on with the New World Order, now it's all like on paper. Right. Like the yeah. guy, the, the Obama, they're only collecting metadata. And that turns out to be bullshit. And it's a good like, Obama oh. impersonation, sir. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like there's so it's it's so obvious now that there's this giant spy network, and everyone's sucked into it. The whole world is literally connected to this the, these cords, yeah. and no one wants to admit it. And tapping in on Angela Merkel, the the prime. Yeah, everybody, everybody, every everybody. world leader, all and, of that. and their personal cell phones. Yeah. We knew everybody's. We've also all, we've also known forever that both sides we're always spying on each other. That's why the president goes into his tent. Which it scrambles all kinds of information. Well, Mike you know? Swick told yeah. me that he was working at the embassy in Russia. Mike Swick, um, before he was at Mike Swick, MMA fighter. Okay. Before he was an MMA fighter, he did security at this embassy, and he said that they used to find things that the Russians had put in the buildings that were powered by the motion of the building. The subtle sway of the building mm-hmm. was what powered these devices wow. that they used. He said it was so far beyond anything they had. 
And it, you know what's really interesting? A lot of the shit that they got, that the Russians got, a lot of shit that the Americans got during the space race was from the Nazis. It was Operation Paperclip. We took all the best Nazi scientists from Germany and just snuck them over here and changed their last names a little bit, a uh-huh. little bit, fiddled little bit, around, a little bit, exonerated them, gave them positions of power like the head of NASA. Werner von Braun was a known Nazi who the Simonthal Wiesenthal, what was it, Simon Wiesenthal Simon Center, Center for, yeah. uh, the, uh, yes, they, yeah. they said that they would punish him for crimes against humanity. They said would, they would try him if he was alive today. Wow. They would try Werner von Braun for crimes against humanity. Wow. What? That was the head of NASA. The head of NASA was a goddamn Nazi, mm-hmm. like a real Nazi. There's, there was a documentary on these people that had been through the camps and were describing Werner von Braun. It was like a, it was a, an expose on Werner von Braun. And they were talking about how they would see him while they, while they were looking at people hung. They would hang the five slowest Jews outside of this Berlin rocket factory every day to make sure Jesus that everybody worked Christ. harder. And they wow. would see von Braun walk past the bodies. Like, to say that he wasn't a Nazi, they're like, no, 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 yeah. no, no. He was a Nazi. He was there while all this was going on. He was a part of all of this. And this guy, you know, he had the tattoos and everything, and he was describing this, and it was really intense. It was really intense to think that, you know, just because someone is, like, really good at something, we'll take him over here, put him on TV, polish him up, give him mm-hmm. a haircut, smile. Werner von Braun, the head of NASA, says, we could be on the moon inside 24 months. We got a lot. We got a lot of German physicists, including, I believe, uh, Albert Einstein, because of the anti-Semitism that was arising in the early '30s already, and they came over. And uh, but wasn't it really States. just because they were awesome? I mean, we had to control them. They were they, the Nazis had created some incredible devices. BMW. They were creating incredible fucking engines for for jets. I mean, they had some amazing engineering. The, the machine gun, I think, was oh. was a Nazi invention. So the, there was or a German th- invention. Anyway. Operation Paperclip. Um, they they took a, a gang of scientists. It was in 1945, mm-hmm. and they they brought them all over here and put them to work in a, a bunch of different segments of our uh, military industrial complex. But also in NASA, they designed missiles. They designed everything. They did all kinds of shit over here. But the the space race was greatly greatly aided by these people. Like we literally didn't have a program until we until we brought Werner von Braun over here. Hmm. It's amazing, man. That's some amazing shit. That's just how they did things. They said, yeah. Eh, yeah, yeah, they're bad guys, but look, they know a lot of shit about rockets. It was also a race for world domination. I mean, there, there were uh, conflicting ideologies, man, and it was winner take all in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Well, I you mean, have, it was a scary time. Everybody's r- yeah. r- rushing to, to make the nuke. I mean, if they they make oh, the nuke God. first, oh, they win. It. Yeah, we got that's right. You know, if we it all wasn't, we all die of fire. If, if it wasn't win. for that Bhagavad Gita quoting motherfucker that was crying earlier, if it wasn't for him, somebody else would have got it. Oppenheimer it probably yeah. would have been the Nazis. They probably would have figured it There's out. There's no question. They were on their way. That was that was the whole thing. The Manhattan Project was basically a race to get the bomb before they did. Oh. Jesus but apparently, Christ. though, historians say that they were further. They were actually had given up on trying, or they were further away than we thought. Allegedly, um, yeah. American propaganda. We got one thousand eight hundred technicians and scientists, along with three thousand seven hundred family members. Those with special skills or knowledge were taken to detention and interrogation centers, such as one codenamed Dustbin, to be held and interrogated, and in some cases for months. And then they took these motherfuckers and slowly brought them out. And started reintroducing mm-hmm. 
<laughs> a lot of brain power. Wow. A lot of brain power. That's amazing. They're still catching those guys, man. They're every now and then they'll find some Like in Argentina and places yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, a lot of them went down there. A lot of them went to South America. Exactly. They flee. I mean, you gotta think and they've chased down a lot of them, man. They they've they've been in they've amazing. Found, yeah, they've good. found a lot of they've they uh, I mean, there's a lot of Germans that live in Argentina. My mother's from Buenos Aires. Oh, really? I've been to Argentina three times. Do you times. speak Spanish? There's so many uh, I do not. Um, what's your background? Uh, ethnicity. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually. Um, Are you a Nazi? No. no what's your origin? Nazi blood? Uh, I'm Italian and Irish on my mother's side, and uh, English and French on my father's side. It, and it's most of the immigrants down there are Italian or Germany. Right. German, and there's they still have like yep. German language newspapers in yep. some areas. Huge. It's a yeah, really they, vast. Large entire German population, yeah. Uh, but uh, that's where a lot of people went and hid out and, and were hunted down eventually. Jesus Christ. That's, what a scary thing. They just moved to these towns and just repopulated. Bunch yeah. of fucking sociopaths, psychos. Mm-hmm. Do the tango Ooh. until just somebody how many, catches yeah, on. Oh, all the murders. Not a bad place to go down to, too. Not a bad place to... Oh. Women oh, are yeah. stunning. It's a great Delicious place. Delicious steaks. Yeah. I had a friend who just got back from Colombia. It was like, oh my goodness. He goes, it's like 10 to 1, women to men. The women are beautiful. Best looking women in the world. He said they have these incredible bodies. And they're dying to meet American men. Good he God. said it's the most ridiculous thing ever. He goes, every American man should just go to Colombia. Well, I uh, can't do that. Well, you're married, but yeah. a, mar- a single, but someone who's not happy. That's what I'm saying. Someone who doesn't live the perfect life like Brian Callen. Well, they're, they're, they're having they're having problems. They, they, they here, here, get this. So, Colombia has a lot of those video chat things, and guys will spend a lot of money on those video chat things. Here's the problem: guys are flying down there to meet their girlfriends, their cyber girlfriends, and and hanging out there and getting all hung up, and marriages are getting ruined and everything else. Oh my god. So, there's been a lot of problems. Oh. Yeah, careful oh. of those cyber chat clones. Oh, the girls. webcam. They are sirens, man. They are sirens. They will, they will, you listen to them well, too long. Probably not just... even men. I mean, yeah. they're probably not even women. They're probably men for the most part with fucking fake pictures. Well, well you know, no, these, these are people... girls you video chat with. Like, you oh, actually, video yeah. chat. Right, right, right. You think about, well, the Nigerians, how much the money they've pulled out of lonely men. They've done an amazing job. It's really? an amazing thing they've done. What, yeah. Like what? What are they? Scamming old men. There's this one show uh, that was exposing this guy that got sucked into this Nigerian scam, and I think he gave off $250,000, which was like all the money he had saved in his entire life, and he couldn't meet this girl. He tried to meet her. He flew all the way to Europe, and uh, she ducked him. You know, like they, they had an email exchange, and they were supposed to meet at a certain place. She doesn't meet him, of course. They only, she only speaks through email. She sends pictures and only speaks through email. He's never actually spoke to her on the phone. So this poor fucking guy flies all the way to Europe, and she gives him some kind of hootenanny excuse. You know, oh, this happened, my family, and so it's, like, it's very hard for me right now. I don't know where I'd be without you. Thank you for understanding. And then, uh, you know, he keeps, sends money, sends he's more a, money. He's a dummy. Oh, he's dumb as fuck. But he's also yeah. just sad and old and lonely. And, uh, you know, he was an older man, and she was young and beautiful and you know, in the pictures. So he flew back again. The guy flew to Europe twice. Oh, God. Twice. Nothing. That's why go. older people shouldn't be allowed on the internet. There Dude, should be guidelines. I know. Somebody should keep an eye on older people. But, but you know, I get these. I get those emails like, I'm, the tears are coming from my eyes. Oh, I'm, I have uh, no money. What? <laughs> my grandfather got, um, he got addicted to buying things out of catalogs. Before he died. Oh, boy. Before he died, um, he he went through a real bad period. He only lived for a year after my grandmother died. Mm. Took care of my grandmother for 12 years, and my grandmother had a stroke. She, she He had to like, take care of her day in, day out for 12 years. And then when she died, he was dead in a year. And in that one-year period, 
he went off the rails. And one of the things that he did was he would buy things off of catalogs. He would just call and just to talk to anybody, wow. he would just to talk to people on the phone. He was, like, really lonely. Sad, man. Well, he was used to having his wife with him, yeah. like, all day, every day. And his family lived, like, an hour outside of town. You know, they lived you – know, it was a substantial drive. So they would come to visit him on the weekends or when they could, but they couldn't be with him all the time. And he didn't want to leave his house. He wanted to stay in his house. So it was this crazy situation where the only way this is going to work, this guy's going to be happy, and you know, is to, to be living with somebody. He doesn't want to leave his house. And he was getting dementia, and but catalog. We had, they had to take catalogs from him because he was just constantly ordering things on catalogs. God. Yeah, it was sad shit, man. People sad. do that. They say people go to uh, funerals like that just so they can be around people. Wow. Yeah. Some well, when people to... go and they don't have any friends anymore, you know, yeah. like you get to a certain age, and where's your your friends are all gone. Yeah, that, I think about that a lot. That's I, that that just must be so hard. I walked my. I remember my grandmother. You know, he's married to the guy for fifty five years, sixty years, and then he was gone. And I walked her to the to the casket, and that was it, man. That was it. That was somebody she'd been with for fifty five, sixty years, and they were just gone. You know, wow. and that adjustment is is a weird thing, man. Yeah, it's and also the thing. reality that you're going to go to. I mean, you know it, yeah. I know it, we all know it, but it seems almost abstract until you see it in front of you. Yep. And then you go, oh, this is what's just going to happen. One day it's just going to not yep. be here. I'm going to just be gone. You're mm-hmm. going to be gone. She's going to be gone. Everybody's finite. We just, it's just so hard to recognize that while it's all happening. While you're living your life, it's so hard to appreciate all Right, the well, until people start, like my father, uh, you know, Died in 2009, and my sister died in 2011. Wow. Hardcore. Two of the people I love the most in the world. And so, I mean, you never, life just seems like some endless thread. Mm. It's just going to keep going on and on. And until you get punched in the heart and have somebody very dear to you who you love and, you know, taken away from you, it doesn't dawn on you. Was your sister younger or older than you? Younger. Yeah, she was 37. Got breast cancer. No. No. Where's that? And my father was killed by a drunk driver in Anaheim. Oh, no. Yeah. So I mean, you know, one you can understand, and the other one is senseless. And both of them are senseless. Know, what, it, what is uh, causing breast cancer, Brian Callen? You probably know this. It's got to be the the, the food or, or uh, mass produced food. You know, like in Europe, my wife is from Holland, and she always points it out. Like there's there's a lot of foods that were sold in America that it just uh, the the governments in Europe don't allow on the on the grocery shelves. Well, just certain ingredients and shit. The the incidence of breast cancer in, in Japan was very, very low. And when they started changing into more of a Western diet, it did rise. Uh, so that, that would suggest that diet plays a large part. It's got to have something to do with fish oil, stuff well. like that. Pollution. There's probably a fucking slew of factors. Nutrition, yeah. pollution, stress. Water. Tim Ferriss went to uh, to where they lived the longest in, in Okinawa. And... Uh, what he was actually looking at is what they don't eat. And one of the things about pussy. Okinawa, there's no pussy, but they're, they have, um, like they talk about, they have a very varied diet um, and all the stuff, but they, they eat blue potatoes, not rice, and there's all these theories. But a huge part of it is their sense of community. Um, they find that, that people who have a, um, a purpose and never retire and a sense of community, like when they're really a tight community, they live longer. Right. And so when most health professionals are looking at health, they're talking about graphs and, well, they eat this and there's protein. No, in fact, human connection, when, when, you, when people feel supported emotionally and connected, I'm not saying this was the case with your sister. I'm not saying that cancer, I'm not. Oh, I, I, that never even crossed my no, mind that you would be implying no, that. No, no, no. no, 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 no I'm totally that. agreeing with what you're saying. Yeah. Because like when people 
people retire. Like you see, a lot of people retire or their wife dies or whatever. Like yeah. they die a few years later. I, yeah. th- I think your theory did you makes read, did you read the perfect out, sense. Did you read the outliers with uh, with Malcolm Gladwell? Yeah, it's been a little while. He talks about this town Rosetta, which is an Italian town. There's an Italian town called Rosetta. They they were marble. Uh, they there was a marble quarry next nearby, and when the marble quarry in Rosetta in Italy was no longer had any marble. They moved to a part of Pennsylvania where they had a quarry nearby. They formed their own town. And in the 50s, uh, heart disease was an absolute epi- epidemic in this country. One of the things they found was in, in um, Rosetta, people were just as fat. They cooked with lard, not even with olive oil. They were dying of old age. And they said maybe they come from a hearty stock from this town in Rosetta. So they looked at people who had emigrated from other towns in the United States from Rosetta. No, they were dying of heart disease, too. Why weren't people dying of heart disease in Rosetta? Why were they dying of old age even though they were fat, even though they didn't eat very healthy necessarily or they ate a lot of sugar and pastries? Well, the conclusion was probably that they had such strong community, such a bond, even if you were a guy who was a nerd or a guy who was whatever, wasn't, who wasn't winning at things. There was such a support system for people. Um, there were parks and people would talk to each other uh, going to and from work. And there were community things that they would do. And it was such a strong community. They look forward to hanging out. They look forward to hanging out. And that yeah. plays a factor in yeah. your health. Enjoying your life. Enjoying your life. It's everything. It's everything. Enjoying what you're doing, having a good time. Yeah, and then but then then also having that sense of purpose and not you know like yeah doing both. something and then you retire and then you have you have nothing to do. Your mind is purpose not is huge. It's why I think with stand up, like you know, I talk to guys like you. Like I'm never quitting. I'm never. That's stop. always been my my thought as well. It never even crossed my mind to not do it. Yeah. Yeah. Carlin never quit. No. You know, I why mean, would you? even Richard Pryor, when he was on his deathbed, came back, did more stand up. It was, it was on on stage. He couldn't even walk. Couldn't barely talk. I worked with him. I did like five weeks with him. Really? Yeah, at the uh, comedy store huh. when he was when he made his comeback before he died. I and, saw him on his. I think it was his fiftieth birthday. My father is the reason I'm a comedian. My dad loved comedy, and he had Richard Pryor albums. And so, like, I used uh, to listen to them. Uh, and like, my, and my my dad was such a fan. He had cassettes and drove around in the car, and I'd listen to Pryor as a kid with my wow. dad. So. Uh, my dad was living in, in L.A. and Pryor was it was after he got sick, and he you know he was in a wheelchair. Two guys had to lift him up in the wheelchair and put him on stage at the comedy store. But it was still such a thrill to be in the same room with this guy, who mm. is like the reason I'm a comedian and like this this ultimate loving bond I had with my dad and like you know love of dirty jokes and yeah. comedy and laughter and humor and I, uh, I think that- and then Pryor could barely keep his head up. Yeah. You know, he he was so uh, debilitated, wow. and uh, but that, he he did do a twenty minute hunk on licking pussy. I, <laughs> I would get my dad to pay attention to me. He was so busy and so under so much pressure. And the way I would get him to, I remember as a kid, is I would recite movies uh, and comics. That's and and because I knew I could recite them, and he would laugh. And that was uh, I knew it would kind of relieve the pressure of his sh- crazy fucking job. And what was his job? Uh, he was a a banker. You know, and uh, I think he did other stuff, you know, for the government. I don't know. But he was gone a lot. You know, he had, a, he had, a, it just, he, he had to solve all the problems, I think. And I always felt that way. But um, he just, I could always see the stress on his face. I could always see the, the, the insanity that he was going through. And, and I remember the one time he would relax is when I, he would laugh at me. So I would, I would quote Monty Python. or I, yeah, I got really good at memorizing. Yeah. So, you know, whatever, man. What a joy. I hope I have a son who entertains the shit out of me. You better my, do it soon, son. I got a video I'll show you. My son doesn't, he's two and a half. He will, he, he, he sits at the drums for one hour at a time. 
and he doesn't want to get off. You got to shoot those loads in there now, Tom Rhodes. Yeah, right. I'm getting up there. Get up there. Yeah, because by the way, it comes a point in time when your sperm's no good no more. You'll be a good dad, Tom. You have. I can't wait. My wife wants to wait. Uh, You know, I'm ready to go. She wants to wait for what? She's just where she's just enjoying this traveling the world, uh, doing cool gigs all over the world. Yeah, you don't even have a place to stay, right? You're doing. No, I'm still doing the hotel thing. Just, I'm just constantly booked. Wow. Wow. Europe, Asia. You know, that's great. And your wife May in New Zealand at the New Zealand Comedy Festival, and then I did like a best of the fest tour, and like, oh my God, who doesn't want to go to New Zealand? That's great. And your wife, your wife loves it. My wife loves it. She loves comedy. She's the one woman on the planet. The one woman on the planet. Loves to travel. Loves to hang out. Like uh, drink and you know laugh with comedians because that's what I've you know. Wow, that's pretty uh, cool, man. She she's that's great, dude. That's a very rare thing. I don't know of any other guy that's doing that. Maybe, I don't either, bro. <laughs> especially a high level guy like maybe the guys that are in the beginning when they're just starting out. But like a headliner. I don't know if you could do it in the beginning because you're not ma- unless you're like independently wealthy. Well, your no, when you're got money. living on a fucking couch and couch to couch and yeah, living right. in people's you know sleeping all those friends, years, couches, those, that, and that first cars. ten years of. You know, taking buses and hitchhiking yeah. to gigs and sleeping on people's couches. It's like now where it's come in life is it's sweet. Yeah, it's man. great. You know, I got That's gigs so in. Wild. I'm going back to London. I'm doing the Soho Theater in like February. Wow. And then I got a gig so in Barcelona. Cool. I'm doing a tour of Holland at the end of January. It's just wow. like it's awesome. You can't they, argue with I love that. It. And then they're just like argue with so that. much work in the states. I mean, I I can only. Uh, you know, why pay rent on a place I'm never at? Right, you know? right. So you work more in Europe than you do in America? No, 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 no. It's about, no, it's about 50-50, you know. I mean, my oh. I'm in the States 50% of the time, and then 50% of the time outside. You're a high-tech nomad, uh, brother. You yeah. probably go nomad. international more than anybody I know then. If that's the case, if you're like 50-50, who, who else do you know that does like 50% of their stuff internationally? I don't know. I've been doing it for a long time now. Yeah, you have. Stanhope does a bit international, but not that much. He kind of hates it. He, like, I, I, I think Stanhope absolutely kills me when he talks about, like, you know, I'll be like, you know, because he's he's pretty adored in England, and he's doing these nice, you know, th- you know, theaters, and you know, selling some nice tickets. And uh, you talk to him about it. And he's he's like he thinks everywhere's like Mexico. He's just like he's just complaining about you know. What's your what's it's, your favorite country? He thinks it's horrendous. <laughs> he just he thinks so little of uh, some of the places yeah. that he goes. It just kills me. I think he's I'm just, like, didn't you enjoy the food? He, like, he might be fun. being theatrical. Yeah, yeah. I think he is. I think Stanhope. Yeah. Uh, he loves to be a contrarian mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, because I mean, there's certain aspects of travel that I just, I, you know, like, uh, it depends where I'm at in the world with time off. Mm. Uh, and we'll, we'll go somewhere and we'll rent an apartment somewhere exotic. Like wow. last November, I did the Jakarta Comedy Festival, and my wife and I went to Bali J- for Jakarta. two weeks. Jakarta, that's Indonesia for anybody who doesn't yeah. know. And then, uh, wow. like in June, we went to Key West for a couple weeks. In September, we, we rented an apartment in Rome. We've wow. done we've done that the last few years. What is your favorite so place to? Uh, do I, you have well, a favorite place? Uh, I you know I, I uh, San Francisco, Sydney, Amsterdam. But if you were to retire somewhere, do you think there's a country you would go to if you didn't live in the states? Uh, I, um, I, I mean, I always liked Paris. My wife, her favorite city is Rome, I love and both. she's really been the last three years in a row. We've gone to Rome. So the the first two years, like. Seeing monuments and all these, uh, you know, paintings and things I wanted to see. This last time we went there, it was great. I just pretended like I lived there for like a week. or just like going to nice restaurants. And when you're drinking performing, wine. when you're performing in Rome, where do you perform? I, I haven't performed there. Oh, okay. I've just gone there on on trips. Okay. I, I should set up a gig there because I've been. I love going there. Yeah. 
Do you don't ever have the desire to like have a place where you know like this is where you put your family photo and this is where you put your underwear? <laughs> you in know that what? Drawer? I did that. I you know what? I threw everything in the storage when I moved to Amsterdam. So I had everything in storage for five years, and then you lived uh, in Amsterdam for five years. For five years. Wow. Yeah, and I had a. I was on television for three. I had uh, my own late night talk show for two years in Amsterdam on Dutch television wow. in English. Uh, and it was subtitled in Dutch. And uh, and then when that finished, the same network let me do one year as a presenter on a travel program. So I had a wonderful life there. But when it finished, and I, I love making television, and I, I moved back, I moved to L.A., got everything out of storage. And I looked at my shit, and I'm like, this is, what am I, my empire of $20 purchases? <laughs> I mean, everything was, anything that meant anything to me was like a book or a CD, yeah. and all those are like 20 bucks yeah. each. Is my empire $20 purchases. The, the, the things that did matter are the family photos. And then, like, you know, things from your life and family and little your comedy career, little memorabilia and stuff. Yeah, I don't have any So, nice... like, when I threw everything back in storage, uh, I got rid of, like, most of, like, the furniture and shit like that and just got it even smaller mm-hmm. to, like, what was really important to me. Like, my book collection and different, uh, yeah. you know, archives of videos and photos. I remember years ago things. you had a place in uh, Koreatown. That's what. That's when I got came back. Uh, that place was great. And you came over that one night. We had a, a great night. And there was this this girl um, who I went to high school with, who's an old friend of mine. You and her got into like this insane argument. I don't know what she said about. She's uh, I, I I I forget what it was, but you like schooled her on something that she was misinformed about, and you guys. Uh, I don't remember, you don't remember that that? too much. I remember there was We one got really th- high. There was one crazy I read I saw you at like yeah. the comedy store or somewhere. There was one crazy girl that had some crazy I don't remember what the idea was, but it was so wrong on and like and she was like saying it as if it was fact. I don't remember what it was though. It was something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I forget what the thing was, but it was something that was All I remember. So we're we're having this just going, we're having this great party at my house. With? I had this uh I had very little furniture. My friend, really good friend, Charles Ezel, who lived in the building, he was in a band. And uh, he, he was like a character comedian, uh, did a little stand-up, but he also had a band. So I let him set up his, uh, his, his band stuff in my living room. So I, there was a drum kit and uh, instruments there. And I just let these guys, I left him the key. He was one of my best friends. So when I'd be out of town half the time, and he could go in there, and I had this massive CD collection and stuff. And, and he would just beat on the drums? No, no, his band would go practice. They'd go practice. In get, an apartment? In my apartment in, in oh Koreatown. Oh, my God. How and that's where you came over. Neighbors. And I had this great, like, this empty yeah. living room cool with place. just, like, uh, some musical instrument. We're having a really nice party, and then you and this girl got, uh, <laughs> you know, one inch from each other's noses. And uh, I don't remember it very Joe much, Joe confronting. Man. I don't remember it very I much. I think the girl had said something that was... Um, it was uh, just not true, not even close to being true. I remember her just being a little crazy and thinking, man, Tom hangs out with crazy people. But maybe I made her crazy. I'm, I'm still good friends with a, uh, I'm still good friends with a, 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 a good portion of people I went to high school with. Wow. It was, a, uh, it was from a small little town, uh, Oviedo, Florida. So is that and there was a lot of really good people. I mean, some of them are, are you know, uh, are, you know, have different beliefs and different ideas about things. But so they're a little goofy. Is that what you're trying to say? No, 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 no. Not all of them. Some of them no, are no, no. Goofy? I'm saying there's a couple that are goofy. Yeah. Um, 
That girl was one of the hottest girls in my high school. <laughs> well, that's the problem. That's also the problem when you're really hot. You'll you get away with, get away with saying right. crazy oh, shit. And I think that she had probably gotten away with saying whatever she wanted for a long time. That's what it seemed like. You were like. one of the first people to, uh, you know, yeah. it seemed like her. It was, just, it was just a, you know, I remember we were high at the time, which really destroys bullshit. <laughs> Nothing destroys bullshit like marijuana. And when someone's bullshit and you're high, like, oh, come on, man. Don't even say that. Right. Just stop. Like, it's so obvious. This is not true. This is not a true but thing. that's L.A., saying. man. Is it? God, oh, God. It's I, everywhere. Yeah, there's some people walking people out here around, very misinformed Telling me about two plus two is 18. I'm like, what the fuck are you? Right. Stop making all this noise. Scientology, what are you talking too. about? Or just people two, people in L.A. Uh, that aren't, aren't used to being told, no, you're wrong. What you're saying is just it's absolute not, it's horseshit. It's just not called on it. Right. You know? Or how about this? You're lying. Stop lying. There's a little bit of that going on. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things I was saying to a friend, we were talking about uh, one thing that I don't like about people that are struggling, especially struggling as actors. It's the arena that they're forced to compete in. The arena they're forced to compete in is an arena where they're constantly going to auditions, where there's this weird social thing going on, where there's one person who's in control, the casting director, and there's a director who's observing you, and your whole thing is about getting these people to like you quickly in a brief amount of time, and so they adopt like really obvious democratic left-wing sort of tendencies and things to say, and they adopt you know a very left-wing mindset because that's the majority of the people in Hollywood are right. very left-wing, and they start start spewing out shit that they think people want to hear mm. as opposed to having a real thoughtful opinion on something. That's that's a very good point. Very few people have the the luxury of having a real thoughtful opinion. It's all about getting someone to like you. It's all about getting into the door. That is so that's that so, is on the money. so true, man. It's a terrible way I was to thinking exist. about that the other day. That is so true. There becomes this this way of you have to you have you're bullied into speaking a certain way because if you yeah. don't you're going to be you're actually, considered a shithead or you know you're not on the team, team man you're not on the you're team. not on the team and and you see it all the time well the left wing aspect of it is very strong uh, my kills friend, ideas you know, you know kills Jimmy thought. Schubert I forget what he calls sure. him Love he Jimmy. calls himself a you know a, a liberal conservative or whatever because he wants to work in show business like yeah. you know he's Sure. You could never go to an audition with a Mitt Romney shirt on. There was not a single not a fucking shot. person would ever hire you. Yeah. That's something that would they would really it would prejudge you for sure. They would 100%. go get this guy out of here. 100%. That is a hard game though, acting man. I know there was a, when Gross. I lived in that building in Koreatown. There was a actor guy that lived in my building. Uh, you know, starting to get up there in age for for an actor or whatever. And I, I guess his his work kind of dried up. And uh, for some reason, when I, I would see this guy, he would tell me everything about his life. For some reason, he thought we were, you know, whatever, great friends. I, I told the guy very little about me. Right. So he just would always just spill all this information about himself. And I remember him telling me, because there was a bar downstairs in that building, and him telling me one night the uh, I'm getting out of show business story. I loved the, like you and I were talking about, never even considered stopping doing this. Yeah. But like, so I, I, it kills me when somebody gives the, I'm getting out of show business speech. You know, I'm I've given my all. I've done game. what I can do. Yeah, yeah. And all then, the like, fakeness. And then, uh, the, all the phonies. So he, so the guy, he, he you know, because nothing had gone on for him. He hadn't worked in a couple years. And then he got this little role on, um, uh, Deadwood. Like, so I don't, I, maybe one line or he, you know, he was on a horse or something. And then, like, uh, and that you know that rejuvenated his spirit. But I remember the guy telling me sometime after that that this girl had dumped him, and he's just he's just incredulous. He can't believe it happened, and he just keeps saying to me, "But I was on Deadwood, man. 
Whoa. Like, like who, I want to dump could, you. Who could dump me? God, what a... This town allows you to reinvent yourself and reinvent your own, invent your own reality, man. It's who incredible. Who could possibly not want to be involved in life yeah. with someone who... People do that a lot. What a mutt. People do that a what lot. What a mutt thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. You dummy. There was another time where there was a little <laughs> cafe on the corner, and he was... Uh, it was like a sunny Sunday or something. He was sitting in front of there reading the big Sunday newspaper, and he had the homes section he's looking through and i'm just being a smart ass and i um you know i walk up to him and i go oh your career must be doing really well now if you're looking at the at the home section and he looks up from this paper and he just goes no just daydreaming <laughs> and you know what i'm gonna do one day when i can afford a house i'm gonna build walls so high to keep the shit in this city away from me oh, <laughs> it was like god. it was just like the most venomous god, angry god that anger i'm like it's a sunny sunday loosen up you, you know you know what this you know what? so hard <laughs> i got a, them, though. i got a great story this <laughs> is so build bad. a wall to separate all the scum from i knew a guy in my acting class and you know how long i was in acting class years I loved it, by the way, for a lot of reasons, mainly because it was just fun to be in a, just, there was a lot of craziness. And Joe would always make fun of me, but I, there was a guy, really good guy, normal guy, so I thought, and he was. And he, I, I hired him to shoot me, to shoot this audition, so I go to his house, and he's got this great camera, and on his wall is a dream board, and on his wall... Mm is his no 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 he's put his face no he's put pictures of his face <laughs> no. on the cover of vanity fair and uh, those magazines uh, and uh, he's got slogans saying you're the guy you're the one and it's oh a dream board wow and it was big it was it covered his whole wall man and and he's a good guy and he's like he's a normal guy in a lot of ways. He's just been told the wrong things. Is this Jay Davis? Uh, no, it is not Jay Davis. <laughs> I, I love. But I love that's it. almost like you know, go to a girl's house and she's got too many stuffed animals on the bed. That's like the uh, male equivalent know, of that. This but he guy, thought he thought the show visualized, meant so much to him. Yes, he would know he was trying to visualize his future, <laughs> and it never. I, I remember going, "Oh, it's never going to happen, bro." <laughs> that no matter. By the what way, I shouldn't I do, have said Jay Davis. Jay Davis is a very nice. He's guy. a great guy. Like yeah, he's a sweetheart. He's a good guy. I like a Jay too. Uh, no, yeah, the reason you did is Jay's so enthusiastic. Oh, like Jay's just he would so have enthousi- a, a board. Yeah, Jay's just an enthusiastic guy who's just you know loves everybody. But but uh, this guy, <laughs> handsome, tall, you know, suave, and just a. I was like, "You're a dork, bro. I gotta help you take that down right now." <laughs> his picture, his face over celebrities' faces on Vanity Fair and People oh, magazine. No. I'm not kidding. Wow. What That's if he how made he, it there? Though? He visualized himself doing that. That's how Dane Cook got big. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Joe, stop bringing names. See, up. you're going to run into that guy, and he's not going to have made it. And he's going to go, you're the reason I'm not. Oh, I, you I made me take down the my secret. Dream he's a good guy, and I, I want the best for him. I love the guy, actually. He's a great guy. It's just that's the He was told what happens sometimes is people are told something enough times, and they forget to stop. And think. It's exactly what we were talking about with the Fox thing. It's like, who says you can't swear and why are you doing it with somebody? Why is it? Why are you doing it with a corp? You, you forgot the idea of a podcast. You have to keep thinking because you'll make choices sometimes because you're told that this works. Yeah. Who said it works? I can't visualize running punts back in the NFL or fighting in the octagon. Don't have it. No matter what I do. Ain't going to happen. I'm getting fucking knocked out because my bone structure, for a thousand reasons, I don't have it. Okay? Tried. Didn't work. So, you know, you've got to you, – yes, you should dream big. But you should also be realistic with who you are. 
So what you're saying is that someone told him that all you have to do is use the power of positive thinking. Correct. Use the idea of New age thinking. Yeah, the the law of attraction. All that shit. And what happens is when you read enough (laughs) books about it and it's written enough, you you see enough books written, Uh, you start to go, this must be, this this is a truth. There was a girl who came to the the, uh, comedy store. She was friends with Kelly Curson. Very nice girl. And uh, one day, uh, I'm, the, the day I met her, she was in the back hanging out with Kelly and all the comedians. Everyone was just joking around. And uh, it was like right around the time that What the Bleep Did They Know oh boy. was oh, yeah. on in the yep. movies. Yeah. And people yep. just had decided that they were going to visualize their life. And she was talking about it. And I hadn't seen the movie yet. But she had just told me um, that she, she was following the secret and her life was going to be from here on out a masterpiece because she was following the secret. And she was very nice, and I, you know, I didn't want to argue with her. And I wouldn't argue with someone about that because I don't even—I'm not sure what I believe when it comes to uh, the power of positive thinking. And I don't know how much of this reality, just because you can touch things and bang on them with a hammer, I'm not exactly sure how much your intent has to do. Wait, with it's success. very simple. I'll give it. To, I'll give. Let me just break it down. Nothing wrong with positive thinking at all until it gets in the way of critical thinking. Uh-huh. Right? So so make sure if you want to be positive, we should all be positive. We were just talking about this, but make sure you don't lose sight of critical thinking. Yeah. Be able to d- d- decipher the meaningful difference between things. It takes some thought and experience and practice. Well, this right? girl, I ran into her a year or so later, maybe a year and a half later at the, the uh, UCB. And... Uh, I was like, how's it going? How's everything? She's like, you know, I've been using the secret, but it just doesn't work. <laughs> she's like, my life is just as much of a mess as ever before. Oh. And she's just, it was really weird because oh, she was real confused. And yeah. she wanted to ask me about it because we had had this conversation about it. And it was essentially the last time I had seen her. Yeah. You know, and then she was like, it's just not. Everything is a mess. I keep having these bad people in my life. I keep dating the wrong guys. I keep my, my dad sick. There's like all these things that are going on that I never would have created if I wanted to. The secret is you but keep making why, bad choices. But that's why sports and stand-up and things are so important because you come up against objective reality. Yeah, there's that. You, you can tell yeah. a joke, and if you're not funny, they're not going to laugh. You can study kung fu on a mountain. If you try to punch somebody in the face who's been boxing and doing Muay Thai, you're going to get cracked in the mouth, and you're going to feel the difference. There is a place in, in life where objective reality must be embraced. And if you live in L.A. long enough and you start reading books like that and you don't surround yourself with with people who tell you the truth, people, yeah. who t- friends who tell you the truth. There's definitely that. You'll create your own reality. You also need something that shows you the truth. And that's where, like, something like a martial art, or right. even like playing chess, or anything, where it's like it is. A, there's a win lose situation here. There's a reality. You're as good as you show to be good. You can decide that your poetry is the most amazing poetry ever. If you can get three other idiots to agree, you could believe your own hype easily, really <laughs> right. quickly. Not right. hard at all. Right. But you can't if you go and play basketball and you can't score a ball. You can never think you're a great basketball player. Not a good player. basketball player. You're like. That ball is not going in here. This is not happening. I keep throwing it. I keep missing right. the hole. So get a good coach I lost and refine your approach. In a row, 30 to nothing, three fucking games in a row. This is bullshit. Right. You know? No matter what my mom says about yeah. me being a good athlete, These guys are I'm killing not. me. Yeah, that's, that's an objective reality. Sure. And refining your approach. The whole point is you fail. Figure out what you're doing wrong. Get somebody to teach you the difference, and then refine it and go back. Go back but at it. But there is some aspect that requires a positive approach and confidence and thinking and almost hubris. 
Mm. And all, all, there's a part of that that's real, and that's where it gets really weird. It's like it's not an either-or situation. There's a bunch of elements to success in life, and one of the elements seems to be like a belief in yourself mm. and a belief that positive things are going to happen and a belief in you know hard work and a belief in like even if you're proven wrong sometimes and you see what went wrong you got to believe that you can recover from that and keep going right when you go on stage like every time you go on stage you've done it before you've done it many times before so you know that you can go do it mm. and the crowd you know roars brian callen and you get on that stage mm -hmm. but there's one point in time in your life where you didn't fucking know you Absolutely. didn't know whether it was the first Absolutely. time or it might have been like deep into your first year mm. You know, this is a, like a, a year in. I was like, what am I oh doing? What the, what the oh fucking, God, I'm yeah. still terrible. Like, this yeah. is brutal. This is a brutal fucking occupation. Hit or miss. Not only that, it requires so much self-examination that you never want to do as a young man. Right, 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 right. The, the, yeah. the, you know? One of the most amazing conversations I've had in a long time was with an author named Dan Coyle, who wrote a book called The Talent Code. And he went and, I had him on my podcast. Name dropping so bitch. You know? I know. <laughs> I thought he was Intellectual <laughs> so a guy named Dan Coyle. Dan yeah, Quayle. Dan Quayle. No, Dan Quayle wrote a book called The Coyle. 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 The book was Coyle. called Coyle. Coyle. It was called Potatoes. <laughs> it was called Potato. Potato. No, Potato. He, he's he's in a, it was it's an amazing book called <laughs> The Talent Code where he went and studied all the hotbeds of talent, like the schools that put out the most world champions. And he and he kept meeting the same coach over and over again. Uh, the same never, prototype of coach. Yeah, he was never a guy who gave big speeches or anything. He was just a guy obsessed with information and what, what he called deep practice. The idea of practice what you're bad at, practice just beyond your, your reach, and, and practice very hard. Well, and that's uh, that, that Malcolm Gladwell thing about uh, the 10,000 hours thing, yeah. I mean, which, you know, comedians all hit that. Yeah, you know? well, Dan Coyle takes it to another, like there's a woman who's 77 in Russia. She owns one court, teaches in group classes, put out more champion more tennis champions than anybody else in and and it's because and she's really steroids quiet. all steroids yeah no it's just the way she disseminates information um there, and there are music people who teach it there's this cello player in san francisco who puts out more world-class cellists because he just has a way of communicating what practice how you should practice yeah that's a big thing man learning how to learn things mm-hmm it's big, and a lot of people don't ever do it. And learning how to teach kids things. Like, one of the things that I'm realizing when uh, I, um, I volunteer in my kids' class, and I watch, like, how, how little children, we're talking about, like, five-year-olds, absorb information, and how some of them just don't get it. They just don't get it. And guess what? They don't get any extra help. The ones, the ones who don't get it, there's 30 fucking kids in this class. There's one lady who's teaching these kids, and if the kid doesn't get it, he just doesn't get it. I didn't get it. And when kids don't get it, they get into this spiral of, of they're behind because they didn't get the first thing. So right. then the second thing comes along, they don't get that either because that's based on the first thing. So they're standing there like staring. Shame. It creates yeah. shame. Creates creates a stupor. That's a terrible way to teach people. Like kids need to be talked to, like individually, like yep. one on one. Yep. They need to learn things. They definitely need some group time, but they need to learn things, and it needs to be broken down differently for different people. Yeah, and we don't do it. We don't we don't teach people how to learn. We don't teach people how to get good yep. at things. We don't teach people how to discipline themselves, and we we make it so that people can just sort of skate by on life. Well, also what happens, which is a very damaging idea is the idea that, oh, some people are born smart and others aren't because you didn't get it. And that, that what happens is when you get gifted programs and these kids are separated over here and these kids over here are the dummies. And my, my very good friend of mine, Hunter Motz, who wrote this book, The Straight A Conspiracy, This is motherfucker is friends with all these authors. I'm very, very he's smart. He's brutal. Yeah, I'm brutal. <laughs> Wait, well, before we end, I know we have to end. I want to get your take. I'm sorry to jump, but I want to get your take, no. if we can, on 
on Robbie Lawler and 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 that fight with uh, with uh, Rory McDonald and why how you Amazing how you explain fight. how you explain Robbie Lawler's renaissance? I mean, he's such a badass. Uh, discipline, maturity. You know, uh, he's he's training with really tough fighters on a regular basis. You know, he's been working with the uh, same striking cl- co- uh, coach Matt Pena. He's been working with him for a long time, but. Now he's at AT and T now, uh, AT and T, American Top American Team, team yeah. uh, ATT, uh, and um, that's a great camp. I mean, a lot, a lot of high level guys from the train Lombard, with all those guys so many, so many guys you even don't even know. I yeah. mean, he's got sh- slews of them, mm-hmm. all talented people, and so he's just putting it all together. You know, it's just it, just a matter of him finally being focused, and also. Spending a lot of time at 185 pounds, now dropping down to 170. Oh, right. He dropped down. Yeah. And I'm telling you, man, he knocked out Josh Koscheck in the first round, and then this Roy McDonald fight. Dude, he fucking hurt Roy McDonald. He's one of the first. I mean, he hurt him in the clinch, too. Unbelievable. He hurt him when Roy was shooting for a takedown, going for the single. He blasted him with left hands. He hurt him when he got on top of him. He hurt him really bad in this one exchange. In the third round, he had him fucking rocked. It was a bad fucking moment for Rory. But I'll tell you what, man, Rory can take it. He can that take kid, it. he is so tough. He's so good and he's so technical. But Robbie's just so goddamn ferocious. I was so impressed with Rory, especially in the first round, about how he avoided Robbie's charges. I like watched that just, fight. Just yeah. like like the punches would come to his nose. Right. He knew just how far to get back. I watched that fight with a with a guy who took a bronze medal in, in the Olympics in boxing, Tony Jeffries, who teaches Brennan Schaub. And he was I mean, he was watching Rory and he said he was like he was like that guy's got the best footwork I've seen. He said as a, for an MMA fighter, he said his footwork's unbelievable. He's super technical. Yeah. Just Lawler was just a little too much for him that night, especially in that one round when he hurt him. But it was still a really close fight. You know, Rory's a bad motherfucker, he's a bad man. Motherfucker. And he's by the way, he's gonna get even better. He's still yep. young as shit. He's twenty four years old. <laughs> After this fight, he's gonna come back even stronger. Here's He'll- my here's my next question. Uh Hector Lombard fights Johnny Hendricks, what would happen? Oh Jesus, the world would explode. <laughs> That'd I agree. Be madness. Can you imagine that? That would be madness. Two powerhouses like that? Well, there's a lot of guys out there for him now. For Hector Lombard and for Johnny Hendricks. Like, how about Tyron Woodley? Yeah, Dude, Tyron know. Woodley's a, a fucking monster, man. Him versus Hector Lombard would be the most muscular contest ever. Like the two most muscular men. <laughs> that division is so stacked, it's crazy. <sighs> yeah. What's up with your your friend Nate Marquardt? Is he gonna retire now? Is I don't it, know. I I, uh, I just exchanged texts with him and uh I, I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for him. Um I I, I don't know. I just think that Nate's been fighting for a very long time yeah. at a very high level, and uh, uh, a lot of hard sparring too. A lot of hard sparring. Well, his sparring part, he sparred with Shane Carwin for eight years. Yeah. Uh, good luck. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. story. Like when they asked GSP to spar with Shane Carwin, he's like, "Why? Right? Why would I spar with him? Why? Because two hundred and seventy fucking get pounds." Hurt by Shane Carwin hits like a like a freaking mule kick. You well, know? It's, yeah, it's like getting punched by a telephone pole. The right. end of a telephone pole just dong dong. He's got the biggest hands. Shane's got the biggest, thickest hands I've ever seen. Biggest hands ever in the UFC. I believe it. I yeah, mean, he had like three XL or four so XL weird. gloves. They were ridiculous. Yeah. They're, they're like these giant canned hands. Long arms. It's a tough guy, man. Yeah. He, and you know, and for the longest time, Nate and him were training partners, and they would spar. And the idea that Nate, who would fight eventually in his best weight class at 170 pounds, would be fighting a guy who was one of the bigger heavyweights, it's yeah. like crazy. Weird, yeah. But that's how smart he was, or how good he was. Nate, I mean, Nate is when when I talked to Brendan who trained with him for eight years, and Shane, when they talk about Nate, uh, you know, I mean, and remember, Nate's GSP's main sparring partner for a long time, I believe, was Nate, one of his biggest training partners. Uh, you know, they 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 talk about Nate in hushed tones. He was as bad as he. I mean, Nate 
is a bad motherfucker, man. At I his mean. best, if you go back and watch like the Tyron Woodley fight when he fought Woodley in Strike Force and knocked God. him out, it was Nate. My one of his finest performances Absolutely. inside the octagon. It's incredible. He he beat a lot of good guys at 185 pounds too. I mean, he stopped mm. Martin Campman at 185 pounds. Um, uh, Wilson Govea, he stopped Damian him Maya. at 140. Mean, yeah, knocked yeah. Damian Maya out with one punch. Yep. Nate was a bad motherfucker. Yep. But it's, it goes back to the GSP thing. It's like they all have a certain amount of time in this game. Yep. There's a certain amount of shots you can take. There's a certain amount of time. I, I asked Chael Son and I, I said, what are you going to do? You've been competing since you were nine years old. Like, How do you replace the juice of competition? And he said, I have no idea. I mean, that, that's a huge part for, I think, a lot of guys who are extreme winners, extreme athletes, you know, which I consider cage fighters to be. No doubt. Um, I think that substituting that all that you get from that is very very difficult man yeah well there's also the fact that that's how they define themselves you know it's like could you imagine if all of a sudden you just weren't funny yep like you would go on stage wow. and you would just eat shit you just weren't funny and people found you distasteful and they would boo they you'd have to want... drag me off the stage man I'd yeah you, you'd, you'd try to figure out like what is what went wrong here what how do you did... do yeah, what do you do? Well, with a fighter, that's what it's like. It's like it comes a point in time where your body has just, it's taken its its share of blows, <laughs> and that's it. You start to see it. They start to have these breakdowns, start to have these injuries, knee injuries, back injuries, neck injuries, elbow injuries, shoulder surgery. All this stuff starts to happen. The, the, the wheels, wheels literally start falling off. Yeah. You know, and until they figure out a way to make it so that that doesn't happen, you know, until it's always been the deal with athletes, fo great football players and great baseball players. What, what, when when the crowd stopped cheering, um, what do you do now? And that's always been an issue for a lot of uh, athletes. It's it's the deal with the devil. You know, you 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 have ten incredible years, and then the rest of the time, by the time you're 32, you're a veteran, and it's time to quit. A lot of times, uh, you know, <clears throat> you've got to. I I always that's why I think <clears throat> in a lot of ways, you got to feed your brain at the same time. Yeah, you get definitely got to feed your brain, but I think it's also like, what's going to happen if they figure out a way to fix things? Like, what's going to happen in the future if the consequences of fighting are not as extreme? Like, <coughs> like if one day they get to a point where they can regenerate neuro tissue and speed up injuries, traumatic brain injuries, just re rehabilitate your brain to a hundred percent, probably get better and better. Your body. Probably get better and better, or or not. I mean, one one of the things that they find with people is the, 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 again, I'm sorry to bring up Dan Coyle again, but you know, you stop developing. Like uh, people type 80 words a minute and they don't get any better. People play golf and they stop at an 85 handicap because most people will get good enough and then stop. If to get that much better requires a whole different level of practice, a different kind of practice. You've um, got to be obsessed. You've got to be a obsessed. fucking crazy person. you got to be obsessed. Well, you remember when you were first starting out when you were doing comedy and there was guys that were with you in the open mic days and they just fucking kind of dropped off? They didn't grow. They didn't, yeah. They weren't writing. obsessed with it. Exactly. Yeah. You got to be I, obsessed. I love that spirit when you're, when you're a young comedian. And it's like, you're looking for a joke everywhere. Yeah. What's funny about a tree? Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. God, what, what, what can I write about a table or, you know, microphones? When I used to drive newspapers, I had this uh, van that didn't have any a radio in it. And uh, it was the best thing ever because there's this monotonous work that I would do. And it was high on Dunkin' Donuts, coffee, and, and fucking but you're Boston thinking. cream donuts. Yeah. I had this mad sugar rush. And I was up at 5 o'clock in the morning throwing newspapers out the window. And driving around by myself, I would get all my material. That's where I'd get all I my I still ideas. do that. I don't play music in my car a lot of times because uh, I know I'll write if I... If I'm driving, you know, uh, yeah, and it's nice because at the end of the day, I feel like I accomplished something or I surprised myself with an idea. That that to me is 
coming up with an idea and surprising myself with a bit. Like the other day, I came up with something, <laughs> but it just—it's such a good feeling. Yeah, it's like I, it's better almost than performing it in some ways. You know? Yeah, well, it's a gift. You yeah. know, it's a gift for your time it's and focus. A gift. Yeah, your your time and focus gives you this gift. You know. It's, it's when you sit in front of a computer for hours and hours and, and you just got this one line you're mm -hmm. like ha one line that's one line yeah. just that's all you needed that's all you need then you take that one line you cut and paste it into your little folder and you're like bam get son. it done get yeah, it done and, and if you don't show up that, that line doesn't get written if you don't sit in front of that computer that line doesn't get written I love that idea of show that what you just said is uh, if you gotta show up you gotta show in up in a way if you keep showing up something will be revealed to you that's the whole point of Pressfield's work you yep. know the, the war of art that's his whole thing Thing, Keep man. showing up. It's this whole thing. Did you ever see the, the podcast? The War of Art? I saw that no. book out there. What amazing. I read both his books. He's amazing. Oh, yeah. man. Really, really cool guy. Yeah, we did a podcast together, <sighs> me, him, and Aubrey. I didn't it was know amazing. That. Aubrey's read his nonfiction stuff. I've read well. I've read both yeah. now, but uh, mostly the nonfiction stuff is what I'd read. I read the, the nonfiction. Podcast. I didn't read the Legend of Bagger Vance. Yeah, stuff. Aubrey read his fiction stuff though about like the Romans and the Greeks. He's got a lot of really wild shit, man. He's awesome. Mm. But just this whole thing is about having that habit to just work to get mm. it done, and it applies to like anything creative. Not just to writing, but like to pr pretty much anything you would want to do, whether it's practicing music or you know creating a film, just fucking actually go to work. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people don't do because the world is filled with weak bitches. <laughs> that's how we're gonna end this, ladies and gentlemen. Don't be a weak bitch. Get it together. Get it uh, Thank did you, you say November 29th and thirtieth? You know what, wise guys, gentlemen, where, where are you going in, to be? I'll be? Well, apparently, did I'll you be say in, that? Well, I'll be, yes, apparently, I'll be in. Wait a minute, I heard that Tom Rose is going to be in Austin, Texas. Man. Is this true? Apparently, I am. Just November thirtieth, stateside. Don't theater. come to our shows unless you want to laugh really hard, especially Tom Rose. <laughs> yes, they. These two gentlemen have the high-level podcast stamp of approval. The the stand-up comedian gold star. They're uh, they're out there and they're two of the funniest guys working today. Go Thank see you, them, sir. you fucking dirty bitches. That's Tom Rhodes and Brian Callen. Follow them on Twitter as well. Thanks to our sponsors, including Stamps.com. Did we do today? What do we do today? Stamps.com. Stamps.com. Powerful Stamps.com. A beautiful way to send shit through the mail. Go to Stamps.com. Use the code word J R E and get your one hundred and ten dollar. That's one hundred and ten dollar bonus offer, including a digital scale up to fifty five dollars of free postage. Hoo ha. Thanks also to Carbonite. Um, God damn it. I'm fucking terrible at these things. I never know where I put them on my folder. Um, thanks also to uh, Carbonite. Go to Carbonite.com. Type in the offer code JRE for a free trial, no credit card required, plus two free bonus months with your subscription. That's Carbonite.com. Go there. It's a fucking awesome setup. We use it here at the Joe Rogan Experience. And thanks to Onnit.com, that's O-N-N-I-T, makers of Alpha Brain. Use the code word Rogan. Save yourself 10% off any and all supplements. Holla back. We will be podcasting all this weekend, Brian Callen and yes. I, as we go out on the manliest of manly adventures, hunting deer in Wisconsin. The Northwoods. It, it will be cold. cold. It will be cold. And yes, we will be doing it for Steve Rinella's TV show, Meat Eater. We're doing it again, round two, cool. last time. Last time uh, we were in Montana, this time we're in Wisconsin. We give zero fucks. We play zero games. We're out there, folks, slinging dick and giving out bubble gum. And uh, we'll be podcasting the entire week that we're there. So we'll have a bunch of shit for you when we get back. And uh, we love the fuck out of you people, and we appreciate the fuck out of you as well. Big kiss, and see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>